Hi, it's Tierney, host of Tierney Talks. You're about to listen to a very special episode of the show recorded live in the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles 2020. Freeze is a global art fair and 2020 was the second year it took place on the Paramount Pictures Studio Backlot here in LA. I'm grateful For Your Art invited me to host the very first telethon for your art at Freeze. It was a magical long weekend full of conversations with artists, writers, curators, and other art world figures. I'm so pleased to partner with For Your Art to present this series of talks about mutual support, community building, individual artistic practice, and our beloved creative culture here in LA. I hope you enjoy. Today's guests include Patrice Colors, Rachel Lord, Liz Goldwyn, Sanam Sindhi, Alexa Demi, Hans Ulrich Obrist, Seth Bogart, Sam Buck, Peter Shire, Janixa Bravo, Justice Singleton, and Blaine O'Neill. Welcome to Telethon for Your Art. I'm Tierney Finster in the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles, and I'm here with the one and only Patrice Colors. Hi. How are hi. you? Hi. I'm doing great. Very, very grateful to be here. Oh, I'm so happy that you get to begin this. Um, Patrice, of course, is co-founder of Black Lives Matter. She's the chair of Reform LA Jails, and you are also the author of a New York Times best-selling book, uh, When They Call You a Terrorist, uh, Black Lives Matter memoir. You're a very busy person. Yes, I am. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Of course. I'm, I'm so grateful to see you as a full adult. Yes. Um, for everybody to know, I met Tierney when she was in high school. And so it's so amazing to like see you be like a badass journalist. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel the same way about you times a billion. <laughs> a global icon straight out of Reseda, California is... 818. I mean, how good does it feel to be at Freeze LA growing up in LA and becoming an artist here? Do you feel especially grateful to like share this space? Absolutely. I'm so grateful. I mean, for so many things. I think LA grew me up and taught me some of the most brilliant things about what it means to be an artist and how to be an artist. It also is one of the places of, of my foremost trauma around policing and incarceration and so, so much of my work is talking about that. Um, I'm grateful to be here um, being represented by LTD Los Angeles, Shirley Morales' gallery. Um, and I'll get into more of what, what, what I'm doing here, but I'm just there's a lot of gratitude for this current moment at Freeze. So glad, and I feel the same. Um, tell me about the performance. So for everyone that's going to come check out Freeze throughout this weekend, you'll be here every day, right? I will be here. Uh, the piece is going to be here for four days. Okay. I will be here today, Friday, and Sunday. Amazing. And we're going to have a special guest, Brianna Memes, who's going to be performing on Saturday. Oh, wonderful. And what? how would you describe your performance? Well, this performance actually comes out of um, me witnessing through mostly the news um, children being detained at the U.S.-Mexico border. And since the um, 
election of 45, there has been such, I think, international um, disgrace and also a, a deep pang. Everyone that I've talked to has felt so traumatized by this government. And when those images came out, the first thing I thought about was I need to be in community. I need to be with the people I love. I need to show them how much I love them. And I was uh, showing a, um, showing some works at LTD Gallery and um, asked um, Shirley if we could do a performance piece in her parking lot. And she said, absolutely. And I said, I want to do a piece called Fuck White Supremacy, Let's Get Free. And the times I feel the freest is through dancing. And so that piece is here at Freeze Los Angeles. Amazing. So you are challenging white supremacy here at Freeze Los Angeles. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and do you think that it's the type of piece, and maybe I'm assuming, but is it something that you think might... Um, like enliven some audience members? Is it something that has a collaborative element at all? Absolutely. Most of my work is very participatory. Uh, it's a silent disco, so I'm encouraging people to come on, put on some headphones, come hang out with our DJs um, over the next four days. Um, I'm also at uh, the P7 Backlot. We're okay. selling uh, Reform LA Jails. Yes, on our T-shirts. We did a special collaboration with Katula, which is um, an amazing um, crew of sisters in, off of Slauson and Overhill, uh, creating um, West African clothing for uh, a new generation of us. And so they came on board and they're partnering with us. We also have a billboard up on Sunset, oh, right wow. under One Oak. Um, that's going on Ooh, right now. I know. Very active. Exactly. <laughs> Um, through February and March for both Black History Month and for the Yes on Our campaign. So as you're hearing, you know, I'm both an artist and a political organizer, and both of those things are really important to me, and I'm so glad to collaborate with Freeze and with LTD Gallery to have this conversation. How does it feel to have a billboard that features your work? <laughs> Crazy. When Shirley was like, hey, we're going to do a billboard, I was like, what? Like, but what then, does that mean? Exactly, and I didn't realize we are going to have it in, like, a prime time space. I think... What it shows you, though, is that Los Angeles is ready to change the way we've been treating the most vulnerable here. I think Los Angeles is ready to have a new conversation about community-based services. And I think while we're having that conversation, we should be having fun. We should right. be dancing together. We should bring, uh, be bringing people into community. So I'm excited to be, you know, bring all of my world in one place. Exactly. And I think that's something that we have more space to do it feels, at least for me, that we have more space to do that now more than ever. I feel like even in regards to bridging and creating community around politics and art, that I feel you're an example of an artist fledging how to do that in a way that's like even more cohesive than ever before. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm really excited about the initiative you're working on right now. Um, will you, you mentioned it in, in regards to your shirt, um, but for people who aren't familiar with Measure R, um, how would you describe why this initiative is so important to you and what people can do to support it? Uh, the Yes on Our campaign really comes out of a decade of organizing here in Los Angeles County. Thousands of us have been challenging mass incarceration. Yeah. Thousands of us have been challenging sheriff brutality. And so um, Yes on Our is a ballot measure that is going to hold the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department accountable for corruption and abuse. And it's a ballot measure that is looking at creating an adequate 
pathway for mental health care in Los Angeles County. And guess what, audience? You get to vote on it on March 3rd. This primary ballot, where you're going to also be voting for your president, right. you'll also be able to vote for Measure R. So on March 3rd, LA voters have the chance to what, transform and change something in regards to our sheriff's department. That's exactly right. And it's a yes on our vote. Don't let them confuse you. It's yes on our. We love our. Um, why do you think it's so essential to our community to reform the sheriff's department? And I just, for context, I'll say, like, I grew up always hearing um, Sheriff Lee Baca, right? And yes. that was just the news figure. I'm always yes. hearing Sheriff Lee Baca. And I realized through your organization that he's currently in... Jail? Federal prison. He's yes. in federal Can you prison. just describe how that kind of like <laughs> relates or informs what you're how working the, on? How did the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, who jailed thousands of people, end up in jail himself? Um, well, that's because for many, many years, Sheriff Lee Baca ran a corrupt department and abused a lot of people. And so the FBI, after a lot of um, complaining about the Sheriff's Department, went in and did an undercover um, sting inside the jails and the FBI um, actually ended up indicting the sheriff and the undersheriff so both the sheriff Lee Baca and sheriff under uh, undersheriff Tanaka are both in federal prison right now wow I mean all the more reason to have like civilian oversight and I know that's something that you organized around how would measure our um, influence or impact the way that the civilian oversight like is going? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, our current Civilian Oversight Commission, we actually built and uh, advocated for, and we got it in 2016. Before that, the Sheriff's Department had no oversight. The, our biggest law enforcement department did not have independent oversight. So we won that in 2016, and when Measure R passes on March 3rd, we will give that civilian oversight body subpoena power wow. and the power to investigate individual officers. So if someone has a reputation, like many people do in every industry, yeah. but um, that would give some actual agency and accountability for absolutely. that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Um, I really hope that you find the success with Measure R, and I'm not Thank surprised you. that you will. Um, for everyone listening, please remember to go vote on March 3rd. In support of Measure R, get your shirts here at Freeze. Is there anything P7 else? P7 Backlot. Get P7 your shirts. P7 Backlot. We only please. have a limited edition. This is a capsule. Oh, limited. everything must go. And they're selling like hotcakes. Yes, exactly. So please come and locally get them. Locally made. It yes, locally like by made an by an people. amazing crew and it's a, an amazing collaboration between LTD Gallery and Cthulhu, Patrice Colors, Reform LA Jails. LTD Gallery, it sounds like that they have great taste. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yes. Well, is there anything else you would like me to know before you go off for your beautiful day? Um, just thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and giving our county this opportunity and the people in it. it I means love a our lot. county. <laughs> And I'm so, I hope you are the, whatever, I hope you're whatever you want to be, but I do hope you're like the congressperson slash mayor slash governor of L.A. County um, in my lifetime. Thank you, Tierney. Well, thanks, everybody. It's also important to note that we have such matching eye makeup. It is... The 
late morning here at Freeze Los Angeles 2020, and I am in my booth, the Four-Year Art booth. We're so lucky to have this amazing set by Ali Madigan and these incredible chairs by Peter Shire, who will be with us later this afternoon. I'm waiting for my next guest. Um, she's an artist, an entrepreneur, a surfer, writer, poet, and fairy. I'm waiting for Rachel Lord. I hope she gets here soon. Oh my God. She's here. Woo! I'm so happy to see you, Rachel. Oh, I'm so happy to see you, Tierney. The glamour, the, the architecture, glamour, we the palette. The architecture, the design. Mm. The taste. Delicious. It's been way too long since I've seen you. I know. I have been away for a minute. What have you been well, up to? Not really to? away, just kind of um, reestablishing my life separate from some things that I just realized I wasn't vibing with on a daily basis anymore. And really, it just came down to um, I left LA for Ventura to surf, I think, where we last left off. Was yeah. it a very pivotable, pivotable, pivotable moment? <laughs> pivotable moment um, in my life, where I was kind of shedding the vestiges of some ways that I used to practice or ha pursue my practice. Yeah. And then I found surfing, and then that totally changed my life and just upended everything. And um, now I kind of live a life dedicated to the ocean, which has me maybe a little bit out, out, not as late at night. Yes, I much prefer to wake up early and experience the ocean than anything. Yeah, totally. How does the ocean impact the art you're making and the way you feel about making it? I think as far as my painting goes, they've gotten more introspective and perhaps a bit uh, less political, which at a time when like everything around us feels more political, that the work is kind of becoming less conspiratorial, less on edge, I think is a reflection of where I choose to spend my mental time every day or like seeing his painting as an escape. But really it's just been, I've been dedicated at least for the last year only to making boards. And um, I've really found myself reborn through function and through sharing joy with friends, with strangers, with dolphins and... Oh. Um, Sharing just, joy with dolphins is yeah. like everything. Yeah, so my for at least for my painting, I've been painting mostly on surfboards that I shape um, and thinking of them as a method of interpersonal communication between man and dolphin. And, wow. Um, yeah. It's a, I think that they're a good, it's, it's an interesting audience to think of in a context like this. Totally. I mean, for larger context for the listeners... Rachel Lord is an accomplished artist. I mean, you've shown your painting and other work all over the world, all over Los Angeles, in so many different contexts. So the fact that you've transitioned into using your art um, to like have this communication with the ocean and with animals in the ocean and with your body, rather than exhibiting in a more traditional gallery or fair context, um, I think that's really impactful and interesting. Thanks. You know, <laughs> thanks, Tierney. Uh -huh. um, 
<laughs> well, something I realized the other day, you know, just checking and giggle, uh-huh. is when I went to art school, I kind of left high school as an athlete. Like, I spent the majority of my time when I wasn't, like, doing drugs and um, sneaking fucking. out of the house. Fucking. Yeah. I got, yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, like ski racing and doing gymnastics and diving totally. and doing all these things Very that physical. once I got to college and once I started making art, I totally stopped doing and it became like I I detached from my body and detached from like the pleasure and joy and fun of doing things in your body. Right. And I don't I didn't really feel reconnected to that like pure joy and that like that healthy competitiveness and performance um, that comes from sport. And I mean, surfing is much more than a sport. It's very much like a way of life and a dance and uh, culture and practice. again a way of understanding the earth and being connected compete, to it. Don't you? I, I do. I mean, I'm not like uh, I do globally yeah. ranked. <laughs> yeah, I, I compete locally. But I just, I'm just wondering, like thinking about a comparison between the art world and the world of surfing, it feels like, of course, there's a lot of competition here. There's a lot of competition among yeah. artists. Uh, you know whether we like it or not because of the market and that aspect to it but it just feels really and the same way with me with writing or media and art but it feels really like relaxing and grounding to actually just compete in yeah. like parceled off areas of competition like rather than like low-key all the time well and here in california too it's kind of the only way that you can get a wave to yourself at a good spot which is why i started doing them the first contest i did was at malibu because it was four to five feet and glassy and the only way that i was going to surf that day was if i did this contest and then i did realize that it was a really healthy outlet for me and really progressed my surfing and now that i make the boards it's you know i can be my own team rider and i can be out there like showing what they can do which is great um but Others, I totally forgot what I wanted to say, so I'm going to let it go. Yeah. (laughs) When it comes to actually making your board, what kind of story do you tell with that process or what goes down? Okay, so I have a friend, Charlie, who's, I think, around 60 and surfs every single day, like, it pretty much just, you know, lives in Malibu and um, is a real legend. And the first thing he told me when I started making boards, his only advice was that every board tells a story. What's the story you're telling with your board? I must have true surfer energy because I framed yeah. the question pretty aptly yeah. then. And they, they all really do tell a story. So the last board that I made, um, I, I just came back last night from Nova Scotia. And in Canada, especially... In Atlantic Canada, they don't really have blanks. So um, I, instead of, normally what I do is I go to the store, which is right down the street from me in Ventura. I pick up a a polystyrene foam blank, and then it's almost like getting a piece of paper or like a pre-stretched canvas or something. Um, And then you start planing that down into your shape, and you do your art, and you glass or whatever. But um, there I had to skin a buckled moldy, completely destroyed old board that a friend let me um, demolish, Mm -hmm. take off all the fiberglass and replane that blank, re-glue it all back together just to get to the starting point. Oh, wow. So um, making that board there really felt special and tells a much different story. Like when I get to glassing that, which I couldn't do in the the weather there, like it's just too cold at the moment. 
it's going to be clear so that it can you can see all the imperfections of it. Um, you can see where it's been. You can see that all the dirt and the mold that's like caked in there. And um, that was a really fun experience so of just cool. reconnecting with the material in a way so that you're not taking it for granted. Right. Um, and yeah. when you mentioned the process or step of glassing for folks who are unfamiliar, what, how would you describe that? Uh, so uh, the glassing of the board is really what basically turns it into a little boat. Uh -huh. um, you take uh, whatever you material you've made your board out of. I mostly use polystyrene foam. Um, the glass is uh, fiberglass cloth, which is basically like spun glass. Um, and then you mix resin, usually with Catalyst, or it can be UV cured, and you kind of smear it all over the board. You can do like abstract uh, resin tints at oh, that wow. stage. I'm still just learning how to glass. Um, it's a highly toxic process, which requires a pretty um, dedicated or uh, specifically built out space for it with good oh, ventilation. Wow. So right now I kind of export the process and do it commercially as a lot of other uh, shapers do. do. Yeah. But again, like coming back from a trip where I was in Atlantic Canada and didn't have access to foam, if I were to make boards there, I wouldn't have access to um, a professional glasser necessarily either or, you know, anywhere else in the world that you might want to strike out and do these things. So for me, the next step in my evolution as a shaper is in mass er, learning for yeah. myself um, all the intricacies of the glassing process because that's also, I, I love sculpture, I minored in sculpture as yeah. well, um, but it's the the inter integration of the painting and the glassing and with the shape itself that I am really excited about and really viewing the surfboard as a complete art object yeah. and a way to make a statement and because it's a very public object in a way that a painting or a piece of art really isn't. You can Once carry it, goes it with your, you. Yeah, you strap it on top of your car. It goes you leave into it water. on the wall. It goes in the water. You take pictures out with your house. it all the time. Yeah. And, um, as opposed to a painting, which like you live with personally, like a surfboard is a piece of art that you really share with the world on it a daily basis. So publicly, yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah. And whether it relates to one of your specific boards or just your experience as a surfer, um, what is it? What's the best experience you've had with dolphins in the water? Um, there was one time at. Uh, C Street up in Ventura where it seemed like there was a group of like 20 dolphins and they were just in the cove all day long swimming around in circles and then we started seeing these little baby fin and this little baby fin was like probably about this wide flipping around trying to do the dolphin no. kick and it couldn't even yet and the entire a pod beginner. of dolphins had gathered around this one little baby trying to learn how to swim and was there like encourage it seemed like so they were there cute. in encouragement creating like a protective barrier for it um that's so amazing yeah i love to kind of follow them around when i'm out there and when you see a dolphin kind of come up and start to play with the water, you know a good set's coming. Aww. So I always use them as a as a marker of uh, a good, good waves spot. on the horizon, yeah. I had one of the most magical experiences of my life last year, which was being in a small boat in the Pacific surrounded by like 30 or 40 jumping dolphins. <sighs> I mean, I was ecstatic. The videos are like too sincere to even share sometimes because I'm like squealing like a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can just sense that there's something going on there, that there's a... I, 
whether I get any messages back or whatnot, I just try to focus myself when I'm around dolphins in the water and make sure that I consciously send them love. Um, it's amazing. Just, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually like, delved here. that deep into, like, I'm John here. Lilly and his experiments, yeah. and I'm only, like, vaguely aware totally. and familiar with them, and but just, I I'm, don't think we necessarily need to, like, give them acid and fuck dolphins, <laughs> but... Um, I feel we should focus on giving people here at Freeze acid more than the yeah, dolphins. Yeah, I think they need it much more than the dolphins, for sure. What kind of... Because you're a Dose spiritual Freeze guru 2021. to me. Yeah, Dose freeze. What type of advice is that? It the advice or message you would have for the community gathering here at Freeze? Like, do you feel a part of this community? What do you love the most about it? And what might you use your own practice to sort of change or evolve? I don't know if I can tie it to Freeze, but I think I could tie it to anyone. The thing, the advice that comes to mind because it for me is the thing I'm working on the most frequently is to acknowledge and address the seeds of anger when they're sown within oneself and acknowledge them to the point where you can process them and turn them into like a blooming sprout of compassion. So situations in one's daily life where one gets angry, like reframing that into a context where you can have compassion for um, the thing Stimulus that's making that you mad angry, and the yeah. person that is making you angry and what's at the root of that um, and finding ways to not sit with anger that's something that I found really important in surfing because there are so many things that will make you angry over the course of a session or it's highly political it's no different than the art world if anything it's more in your face right um, and the way that gender and class and some of the, that stuff can gender class but even things like the politics of where you park being new at a new spot um, well, surfing, it's like similar to skating in that sense of the underground, a sense of the, you got to be in the know, locals only. I can see how yeah. that would be a barrier of access for some people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you're the, I think the conversion of anger, frustration, jealousy into something beyond that, that acknowledges that it exists is something that maybe as, as people we need to work on kind of a non sequitur but no it's real yeah it's real i'm here to work on that i'm, I'm here to so work excited. on that i'm a jealous bitch I'm, all the time i'm trying to remove thorns of uh thorns of anger yeah. thorns of resentment i'm trying to surrender i'm giving my body up to this telethon so that's just what i'm surrendering yeah. to right now <laughs> it's so easy to like say be positive or to like yeah. keep your vibration high but really what that's about is almost sitting more with the things that upset you to figure out a way through it. Um, totally. Without Instead of swallowing it. them, because they'll come out later. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you stopped by Telethon for your art today. Thanks, T-Star. Before we leave, I want to ask you, what is one thing, what is something, and if you could phrase it by restating the question, what is something that you stand for or support? Um, I stand for and support um, Bernie Sanders for president. Woohoo! Tell us why. Uh, because um, it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, when I'm having conversations, even among the art I community think that, here, um, it's not always obvious to folks. Uh, moving beyond the current political paradigm, whether or not it's possible, whether or not the system itself is fucked. Um, we need to try, and that is our shot. 
Yes. And I support where he stood his entire political career. And I do think that the entire political uh, escapade and theater is a sham. And these things are chosen ahead of time by an elite group of pedophiles. But <laughs> even if that's the case, we still need to stand up for things that are right when they're in front of us. And, um, and it's right there. And to say out loud that things are run by elite groups of pedophiles. I mean, I feel like, unfortunately, uh, this era of 45 and this really kind of negative political context, I wouldn't choose it again, but at least there's such honesty in the conversations that are emerging out of it, whereas I think, I just think Americans are getting a really good taste of who we are and that because of the way our country functions, all of us didn't have that taste prior to 45. Yeah, if you're lucky. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I hope right you're the on. first of many Bernie endorsements here today. Great, right Have on. a great time. Bernie for Prez. Thanks, Tune Tierney. again soon. Welcome back to Telethon for Your Art. We're at the Freeze Los Angeles backlot in the For Your Art booth with Liz Goldwyn. Hi. Liz, of course, is an amazing artist, writer, filmmaker. She's also the founder of The Sex Ed, which is a digital platform for sex, health, and consciousness. Absolutely. Um, that's why Liz is an especially sexy person. I've got my, <laughs> my thigh-high latex boots on for you. Liz in her kinky boots. I like prude with a little erotic <laughs> underneath is my vibe. Um, do you think the erotic is important to art? I think the erotic is important to everything. You're so right. <laughs> Do you think I'm, I sh I'm sitting in my erotic enough for the talk show? I mean, Courbet's origin of the world is, which is the, you know, was exhibited behind a curtain when it was True. first shown in France, which is a close up of the vagina covered with bush. I mean, it's literally the origin, origin of, of the world. Of creation. Exactly. Vaginas covered with bush at Freeze <laughs> LA 2020. Um, how do you feel, like, what's going on cosmically right now? Do you feel like it was bold of Freeze to produce Freeze Los Angeles right before or during Mercury Retrograde? I was about to say, we're in the shadow period already. But it's beautiful today. Last year, there was lots of rain. We've okay. got sunny LA. All the, like, newly minted art collector movie stars are out in the crowd. Oh, I can't be, wait to be one of those. <laughs> buying, buying art. People yes. watching, everyone's got their fashion on, which is great to see in LA. Amazing. You know, you know how I feel about it. Tell, tell us about it though. I, I mean, I've been lately trying to work a little like Rihanna off duty athleisure wear just to see if I can do it. I know Bella Hadid's off duty <laughs> looks are important to you too. <laughs> yeah, but like more full leopard print. But I really like to see people get dressed up and make an effort. It's nice. Yeah, it feels like we're at something special and yeah. that kind of, well, you're dressed up exactly as I would <laughs> expect you to be in your red and you look amazing. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the sex ed? Clearly, sex has been something that's creatively inspired you um, in terms of pretty things and your study of American burlesque and also with Sporting Guide in which you studied, um, like what, 19th sex century work, yeah, in L.A.? LA. Well, I think that sex is not necessarily something that you have to do with another person. It doesn't need to involve penetration or orgasm. Sex is also an energy. It's a life force. So um, 
I think from a very early age, I just realized that that was synonymous with my, my own creativity, mm -hmm. was cultivating my sensual or sexual energy. Um, and I'm just fascinated. I'm fascinated by the history of sex. I'm fascinated by sex now. I'm fascinated by what sex will be in the future. True. I just, it's, an, it's a subject I'm never bored of. Um, so with Pretty Things, or sorry, with Sporting Guide and your study of sexual culture in early days of Los Angeles, um, I know that the world of that book is set kind of like pre the like uh, implosion of Hollywood in Los Angeles. Why was it yeah, so interesting to you to study like a pre-Hollywood era? Because people think that there was no L.A. before Hollywood. And when in fact in 1895, we had the fifth symphony in the nation. Um, you know, I think people like to equate Los Angeles with a culturally vapid land of celebrities and postmodern postmodern architecture. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of feel like, especially since I grew up in Hollywood and my family's in the movie business, that I had to, as an Ange as a native Angelino, give my my two cents. Totally, to share that context yeah. and history. Did you have fun going through the archives that inspired the historical fiction? Well, you know I'm a, ner you know I'm a nerd who a loves archives. A sexy nerd. Yeah, I love, I mean, libraries are, um, are the basis of most of my erotic fantasies, so. Wow. <laughs> Meet me in the stacks. You're winding me <laughs> with that one. <laughs> well, I'm going to wait to ask you more about your library fantasies in private. Um, but I'm curious, as you continue to share information about sexuality with the sex ed, uh, is there anything that's been the most strikingly interesting or different um, aspect to that versus creating art projects around sexual themes in history? Definitely being a female founder in the sex tech space has been really interesting. We're not allowed to advertise on Instagram or Google or Facebook. We routinely get blocked. Um, the sex ed account we, does. The sex ed account does. My personal account does as well. Um, so that can be really frustrating, uh, just sort of feeling like for a lot of my career, because I've been in this space around sex for, a long, for at least 20 years, right. kind of fighting an uphill battle with this topic. And I feel only in the last like few years has it become more uh, acceptable to talk about this stuff. And I... I fear that we will we are getting into a point where sexuality is going to become whitewashed and commodified the way that we've seen feminism yeah. get commodified and I, I'm very anti that trend. Especially within sex tech, I mean that mm -hmm. must come up because so much of technology is like a white colonial gaze at the future. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but it's super exciting because I get to explore the intersection of sex, health, and consciousness. And to me, consciousness, spirituality, religion, and sex is where I'm really fascinated. Totally. By. You've definitely helped and healed me in those areas, Aww. too. I'm sure more to come. I'm very happy to heal any of your genitals. I would <laughs> love for you to take a look at my genitals. You know what the later. big thing is that I'm fascinated with now? Per perineum bathing. Have you heard of this? Oh, so is it where you like drop you, it into some tea? You basically like uh, expose your perineum to the sunlight for oh, 20 yeah. minutes a day. Like, you know how you do your pineal yeah. glands? So that's the new thing. Well, Perineum I know your bang. legs up are in the garden <laughs> anyway, so that can't be that yes. breakthrough for you. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to Instagram and the censorship that takes place, I feel like within the context of art, that is even more pressing because it 
is a, I mean, so much art involves imagery or depictions that even if they're not explicit to maybe you or me, um, they're deemed too provocative for Instagram. Uh, how do you envision or dream of a future, whether it's on Instagram or on social media or otherwise, that has different standards than that. Well, there are a lot of sex tech companies run by women that are trying to build alternatives to Instagram where you don't have those kinds of censorship controls. Yeah. The strange double standard is accounts like Dan Bilzerian. Yes. Do you know who he is? He has that Ignite Cannabis. Yeah. I hate to give him a shout out. I didn't out. know he had it. I can't believe you're that, bringing up the yeah. big Bilzerian here. Well, but. he's allowed to do whatever he wants on his Instagram, but you know, companies that are like, like the sex ed that... Mm -hmm actually post way less explicit content and get shadow banned content all the time. that has a educational or informative purpose versus a lifestyle brand yeah. like so i think you i mean on one side i'm very into fighting the man and anti-authority but at the same time in order to change the system you have to know the rules and you have to play by the game so it's kind of straddling a little bit of both totally well, I hope everybody follows you at The Sex Ed. There's so much amazing. What can people check out on the site right now that um, you're excited about? We just released a article this week, an essay by Lisa Stardust, a sextrology piece on how sex to find your, your Venus sign and your yes. love language. Um, uh, we're going to release it. season three of our podcast in Amazing. April, which I'm super excited about. And um, you can also see a talk with Tierney and I on our website, thesexed.com. Yes, I love thesexed.com. I love your talk with Nina Hartley and Dita Von Teese. I read the sextrology piece and I was super excited and found it really useful because I know that my Venus is in Scorpio, but I really didn't know what that meant and <laughs> I did have an inkling and now I'm aware that it means a lot of uh, severe intensity and uh, <laughs> my Venus is in Pisces oh what a sweetheart <laughs> well Liz I know you have a lot to check out here at Freeze today and I'm sure you're looking forward to doing so I'm so glad that you stopped by Tierney Talks thank you for having me and the telethon is lucky to have you thank you for your art thank you Tierney Talks more to come. I will provide you an introduction. Many of you will already know her. Sanam is a writer, artist, style icon, art lover, Me? tastemaker. Me? You are. Period. You are also <laughs> the creator and manager of South Asia Archive, mm -hmm. which is at South Asia Archive on Instagram. Uh, to directly quote Sanam's words, words that she's truly a master of. South Asia Archive is a research and education platform for sharing my studies on traditions of beauty, adornment, identity, fashion, and queerness in this Indian subcontinent. Damn, you did your homework. I love homework. <laughs> That's <laughs> one of the too. reasons they had me come to the, I mean, an archive. That <laughs> <laughs> That's homework. That's homework. Yeah, you're right. When you sought out the knowledge or the information that you now share on the archive, did you do so with plans to make that public or to share it with others? No, I kind of had been doing it for a while. Like, I feel like I started collecting stuff maybe like eight, nine, ten years ago, and I had no idea what I was going to do with it. I was just like, oh, these images feel really meaningful to me, but I was still like confused as to why or 
like what value they had to me. Totally. Um, but yeah, I started collecting stuff like 10 years ago and had just been like a hoarding all of these things with, yeah, no plans to share anything because I also don't have an artistic background. I don't come from an academic background. Um, and a couple years ago, I had started sharing stuff on my Instagram and people really liked it. And I was like, maybe this is important. And I think it was important for me to hold myself accountable and kind of put the work out for me. Um, and then, yeah, it just got a great response. And Amazing. people seem to really like it. What is your process of collect collecting? I mean, for those who haven't checked out the archive, it's full of amazing imagery mm -hmm. that relates to some of the themes we mentioned. But um, where does that come from? What is your process like? Oh, my God. Um, it's a spiral. I spend many, many, many hours and days on the Internet, at the library, at bookstores, um, combing through things. I am working on curating... Um, a more like tangible collection of things because um, for now for the most part it's all digital I have a sh I can't curse a can shit I? load okay <laughs> she has a shitload of images about I have a shitload of images and a shitload of books um, yeah. sitting in my home that take hours and hours to go through it takes hours to catalog the information so I kind of have like little binges that I go on where I'll spend like three days working on the archive and like scanning and writing out all of the captions and all the sources for like, right. it's intense. I also didn't realize that once I started doing it as work, like how much work it was going to be. Right. Because it becomes a little bit of a different flow of information, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Has there ever been an image or a piece of art or documentation that you've found or experienced that you really want to share but you don't have context for yeah and I I mean a lot of it I don't have like context and sources for which is why so much time goes into figuring that stuff out and why I'm like very slow and sluggish with it you know I'll go like weeks without really working on it because I'm like I know that once I start it might take me three days to find the source for like one photo wow. or it might take me three days to figure out how I want to articulate like what I'm trying to say about the image or how I choose to like share the information. Why it's so important um, to you. And it's also, I think in the beginning I kind of was like, because it was so much for me, I didn't really see the value in sharing that information. So I would just share the images without any context. But now that I'm like, oh, it's really important to do that. It yeah. like, I take a lot of time doing yeah, that. Yeah, you really anchor the archive so beautifully with your captions. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a good practice for me in terms of, like, writing and, right. um, you know, also just, like, studying because I dropped out of high school. I don't, I didn't go to college. I don't have, like I said, I don't have an academic background. Right. So it's, like, nice for me to sort of, like, give myself homework. And to have that we form. Love homework. We love homework. We I love mean, homework. We love stationary <laughs> yeah. pens, We tasks, do. Homework. We absolutely do. I mean, I fetishize, and I also had my friend Liz on earlier who does a lot of sexual history and Los Angeles-based archiving, and um, there's just something where even when those processes can become tedious or high pressure, there's this very personal and meditative quality to assembling meaning from things yeah absolutely I think it's you're very right about the meditative aspect of it because it definitely has helped like center me in other parts of my life like I said like with my writing it's like 
it's pushed me to sort of like start journaling every day or like writing things down by hand. Like a lot of times, like I'll sort of just like scribble out my notes for the archive, like in a notebook, as opposed to like sitting on my computer and like editing right. a passage because it just like feels more cathartic to do it that way. And soul is fully grounded. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I love writing by hand because I just literally think the neurological. It, is it, there is, there is right? Yeah. Like, it does something with your brain as I opposed mean, to, like, typing things out. Yeah, and I kind of formally studied that in the past, but at the same time, I feel like some people might think that's a very, like, antiquated or not contemporary idea, um, but I just really think that brain processes information differently when you write it. Yeah, it's weird. I notice that, like, when I make myself physically write things down, it, like, retain the information better. It helps with my depression. Right. Like, it's For me weird. Too. Yeah. I also have this sense of... For me, being creative, whether that's creative in how I'm collecting information or creating my own information, um, it feels like I'm not, even though we're in the middle of freeze and we're surrounded by people and this is sort of antithetical, it's like I really like to feel connected to myself and maybe my ideal community, but not everyone. Like, I don't. I don't really like keeping everybody that I love or follow or know in mind when I'm writing. And it's not because I don't want them to connect to what I'm sharing, but it's something about taking my ideas onto paper and make it just feels like mine. And when I see it in my writing, and it, it gives me more confidence and empowers me to then share that. Yeah, it's such like an, it's such a way to create intimacy with yourself. And which is I think that's something that I really admired in you before we really became friends. Oh, and that's something that is so important to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I think going off of what you were talking about, about like it being something that's so personal that you maybe like aren't thinking about sharing it with everyone when you do share it, yeah. but it's like nice when people connect to it is right. sort of what the process was behind creating the archive. It was just like, this is like for me. It's not about anybody else, you know? Totally. It's about like me connecting with like my history and my ancestry and sort of like rediscovering like where I belong in the world. Right. Um, and it just was nice that people like connected to it, but it wasn't for anyone else. Totally. And kind of creating for yourself before moving that public, creating for yourself a repertoire of imagery that perhaps makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah, for sure. I think it was really important for me to see um, like a lot of the images that focus on like adornment and tattoos and stuff like that, especially as like a South Asian person who didn't have any proximity to South Asians when I was growing up and was kind of just like out here like flailing in the wind like where the fuck do I belong right um and you know in in like a more light-hearted way it's also just like yeah it's cool to like fucking see like old Indian women with tattoos when it's like my parents when I came home with tattoos were like what the fuck is wrong with you you know right so you get to sort of have this historical context to yeah even share with people who might sh it's not about it's like it could be as transformative for people who might even have direct roots to or mo mostly transformative for people who are even more directly represented by that culture. Yeah, like, exactly. And like, I don't know, it's nice to like share that kind of stuff and have other people reach out to me and be like, yo, like my grandma has this on her arm. Right. And like I then show my parents that my parents like still don't get it, but they're like. 
it's cool, I guess. Yeah, but then you're <laughs> able to be like, ask your grandma, or what do you know about, you get to ask questions with your community. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a way to create dialogue and, again, intimacy within my community that I have never had. I've never witnessed any of the South Asian people that I know as an adult have access to that. So right. in that way, it's been really... I just, like, kiss the mic. In that way, it's been <laughs> really important to me. Um, and how has uh, sort of collectivizing or sort of offering um, your platform with South Asia Archive to other artists, archivists, uh, specifically South Asian artists and archivists, how has that sort of enriched or contributed to uh, the platform? I think, again, it's just been a really incredible way to, like, find my people essentially because yeah. you know my biggest thing and every like South Asian or South Asian adjacent person that I know as an adult has like expressed the same thing where they're just like besides like when MIA first came out like that was like it that was all we had and it was right. iconic but it was just like damn this is the one thing that we have in like I think I was like maybe 14 15 yeah. when she first popped out and it was like in 15 years like that's like the first person I see who like and really, Speaks. I mean, there's very few other names for me to still, call out right still, now. Still, still, there's like not, there's not really like representation for us. There's not really visibility for us. And and when there is, at least in my experience, which isn't as like knowledgeable it's corny. as yours. It's yeah. corny. I'm going to just be real. Like it's, it's real corny too. and it's real hard out here. It's yeah. so like, you know, when I saw people like Ozma, I was like, that's... Totally. That's what I, like, look up to. That's what I connect with. That's what I want to share with the people I know who are like me, who are looking for those same resources. Totally. And you've mentioned how you don't come from a high... Like, I don't want to say highly educated because you are highly educated. Oh my but God, thank you. you don't <laughs> come from a formal context of yeah. the study of art mm -hmm. or maybe you didn't find the formal context of studying in general that... Um, engaging or yeah, home it was to you. not appealing to me how does the does that come up for you like when we talk about inclusivity or exclusivity I mean I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of people consider the art world pretty exclusive and pretty um, you know everyone you know you have your MFA or you're just like yeah sort I have of in no idea worlds. what those acronyms mean right we don't have our MFAs here period um, <laughs> Does that make you feel more empowered at times? Does that make you ever have to get over, like, humps of that? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I definitely still have moments of feeling inadequate and, um, you know, kind of just like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, right. But, yeah, it is also empowering in a way to feel so supported um, by the people who it's important for me to share the work with and to feel um, really like lauded for the work that I'm doing and not in like an egotistical way, but it just in a way where it like feels validating. Like, and okay, cool, like, yeah, yeah, I'm smart, period. And <laughs> like, it's validation, you're smart, and I'm smart, period. Team smart. And I think that honestly, the idea of not feeling smart or not feeling like, the idea that we don't know enough is something that prevents so many of us from experiencing things that we might love. Especially like also think about it in the context of like my identity, like as like, you know, I'm supposed to be, like, a model minority. I'm supposed to be, like, a fucking doctor or whatever the fuck. Right. And it's, like, I, I'm, like, no, you no. know? 
Absolutely not. But she will do her homework. But I will do my homework. I'll, I think it's it's nice for me because I can practice like studying in the way that I want to study. Like, right. I think now as an adult, now that I've been doing it in my own way, it is like appealing to me to go back to school and like learn things in that environment. But for the most part, like I feel as though in terms of like education, like I've been self-sufficient in that way my whole life. And I'm like very like comfortable with that. Good. Yeah. Self-sufficient angels. We love depending on ourselves. Literally. We better. (laughs) As we wrap up, I'm thinking about our audience and ways that people might be able to amplify or support South Asia Archive and your overall practice. What are your wishes or desires from whether it's like the quote average listener or from somebody with a ton of resources in the Los Angeles art community, like what could you use? Um, I think beyond just me and my work, it is super important to afford access and um, visibility to like South Asian artists and creatives in general. Um, Cause again, there's very little of that for us. And what is there is not necessarily like I personally don't find it, like, a value. I'm just going to be real. Like, you know, like, I don't care about, like, corny Bollywood shit. Like, I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see, like, you know. Well, you don't want that to be the the basis or the only um, element to that representation or cultural contribution. I I truly, like, don't care about it. Like, it's, like, we've been seeing it for a long time. It's very one-dimensional. And that's, like, no shades of people who are doing that. But, you know, it's, like... It's just about what you're calling for. Yeah, I think there is a real, like, urgent need to see something else out of my community and see... Um, like true inclusivity and true like exploration and true like unpacking of what our identities mean. Yeah. Um, so I think a great way to support that is to, you know, hire South Asian creatives in the art world, like work yes. with them, hire, you know, like. Hire South Asian creatives in the art world. <laughs> especially, I mean, all over America, but especially in Los Angeles, it's just like speaking from my own experience of friends and community, there's no shortage there's, of options. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's incredible, like, what there's available if we, like, you know, put some work into looking for it. And if we not just want it, but make it happen, right? Pe- period. That's it. Exactly. Like, I'm tired of wanting things. I just, I make shit happen. We're getting so. them. And, and I have very little resources to do that. So I think people with an infinite amount of more resources than me can definitely make shit happen. Call Sanam, everyone. <laughs> As we wrap up the telethon, uh, at least this segment, we're asking folks a question and asking them to rephrase it, like to state the question in your answer, basically. So the question is, what is something you belong to or support? <laughs> oh, my God. What is something I belong to and support? Um, I think I belong to me and I belong to... Support you. I support me, bitch. I'm like... I'm obsessed. I'm team me. But how powerful is that? When it's like, I have so much privilege sitting here with you today as like a white person, as a person who is super As my favorite white person. (laughs) Uh, She doesn't like it when I call myself a white American. Um, But like... I have so much fucking privilege here, and I still have those questions of, As do I. am I smart enough? Am I smart enough to interview uh, uh, this person or that person? And it's just like, I really hope that conversations like this can make people feel comfortable trying and experiencing, you know? Yeah, I think so, too, because we all have that thought process every single day, especially me and you. We've talked about that before. Right. but you know. Lose. 
being around you makes me feel smarter. I feel supported. Ditto. P- period. I love you, Sanam. Thank I you so you much too. for stopping by for your me. art booth. Thanks for having me. We're live, baby. Welcome back to We're Telethon. Live. We're live. Who's watching? Everybody's watching. The whole world is tuned in. <laughs> I'm scared. I know how shy you are. I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> I am here in the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles 2020 with the one and only Alexa Demi. Woo! Where's the fanfare? Woo! <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you for having me. I mean, come on. I know you're one of my best friends, but it still feels like an honor to have you grace the booth. Oh, I love you. I know how media can be. It just, it could be too much. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It could be too much. We're in the back lot. We're surrounded by artists, curators. It's so fun. It's beautiful here. Is this what you're expecting? No, this is my (laughs) first time here and this is not what I was expecting, but I'm happy with that you're here. Yeah, I'm happy that I'm here. So the whole art world, or at least the art market, is out here in LA this weekend exploring the creative capital that is LA. But for the two of us growing up here, I think um, we've had the pleasure and the privilege of long experiencing that. Do you feel like growing up in Los Angeles has informed the way you think about yourself as an artist? Yeah, I think growing up in L.A. has definitely, it's really helped to, uh, it's really helped me believe that it's possible. Like, even when your family doesn't believe it or you're doubting yourself, you can just walk down the street and, like, there's Hollywood Boulevard and, like, the Oscars are happening. So it just seems like... It's just like tangible. It's like right there, you know? Totally. Like somebody who I really respect, who's such an incredible artist, Will Boston, he was telling me how growing up in Texas, he said that the notion of him or somebody he knows being on TV was completely out of bounds. Whereas I know, uh, I mean, it's like we saw ourselves exactly where we are or we felt permission to explore dreams that a lot of people don't get to support around in their community yeah i mean we were born <laughs> yeah you know I, like i was born like smack dab in the middle of hollywood so it's just yeah it's always felt really it's always felt really possible and aside from that i think both of us have just have always had like a strong will and desire so i think even if we were in We would make it happen somehow. We would make it happen somehow, yeah. Um, What about, I mean, yeah, like, you're a movie star, you're on television, you're so many things beyond that, too. Um, How does it feel to be sort of, like, stepping out as, more publicly as such a creative force? There's something so personal about what we express. How does it feel to sort of amplify that more out loud? Um, I mean, I love, I've always loved performing for people since I was a little girl. I would just perform for anyone who wanted to watch, whether it was like family or like people at school. I would tell my teacher to like make everyone sit on the floor so I could like do a performance, which is annoying, but (laughs) I did it. Not when they're amazing. Yeah, I guess um, that's just always been my desire and my passion. And, And now that it's, I guess, 
sorry, you said yeah, it's more... Yeah, now that you're just sharing it or that you're like... Yeah. It's becoming more publicly yeah. available. It feels good. Like, I never thought I would be on TV. I was like, I grew up kind of being a little bit of like a snob. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm a film actress. I'm going to be a yeah. film actress. But I'm so grateful to be on TV because we reach such a wide international audience and it's really really, yeah and you know I've only I've never done like a huge movie I've only done indies and with TV it's it's just really giving me a platform to explore producing my own content um, writing you know it's just anything really so yeah it feels good it's super beautiful we're definitely in an age of television that people herald as having such complex stories and something I love about um, TV is that it's just like having a friend because movies you fall in love with characters and of course movies are amazing and we're film people as well but like television just provides this ongoing relationship and we can see that with the way with Euphoria on HBO, the way that um, viewers respond to your character has so much to do with that arc, don't you think? Yeah, I th- it's crazy how much you know, girls, boys, whoever just really relate to Maddie and connect with her, and it's kind of really amazing. Like I got to grow with her because you're right; it isn't just like one off yeah one quick movie like you're you're it's continuous so I got to really grow with her and I think people get to grow with her and we're still growing and I'm really excited we'll see what season two entails she's we're elevating elevating, ascending (laughs) what is your favorite part of acting I would say my favorite, there's so many parts of it, but I would say one of my favorite parts of acting is just the healing that I get to do. Um, You know, I've grown up with, you know me, so I've, you know, we both have had like childhood traumas and and, and such. So I get to really heal through my characters and I, 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 it's very personal for me. So I just use a lot of like personal experiences and I, and I'm just constantly growing and I'm constantly trying to heal myself, period, with or without that. So if I can do it through a character and through my work and... It's a gift. It's a gift, yeah. So I just... And you help us all process, you know, emotions and experiences. And then the glam, like when you get lucky and you get something like Euphoria, like being so hands-on with the makeup and the outfits. Tell us about that artistic direction and the agency that you had in crafting some of the iconic looks. I mean, my mom's a makeup artist, as you know, like I've been... Shouts out, Rosie. Yeah, I've been visiting Mac stores and just seeing makeup like my whole entire life. So when I spoke to the creator, Sam Levinson, and he expressed how much he loved makeup, I was so excited because for the first time I was able to create my own mood boards, bring them in, bring in my own gems, bring in, you know, just anything really and be so hands-on. And then the stylist, Heidi Bivens, she's so collaborative and so amazing. So we work really closely on creating the look and yeah it was, it's just it's fun I love it I also think that it's amazing that you didn't feel um, pressure to just accept what you were given not no. to say that you weren't given something excellent in terms of the story and the character and the, but that I feel like sometimes people are so lucky to have a job especially with acting that it might be easy to just swallow whatever you're handed and does it excite you and make you more like, rated you're like no no 
Um, does it excite me and motivate me that I don't just to like produce your own work? And oh my to, god, like, yeah. More types Are you of kidding me? It's like all I want to do moving forward. I'm I'm starting to meet with authors and reading short stories and just finding things that I can produce on my own and and right. that's I mean I like to have creative control so <laughs> in general Alexa yeah. Demi likes to have creative control I and I love you to be in control of the creative because that's how I know it's going to be amazing thank <laughs> you um, I'm thinking about some different things like something that you mentioned is how personal acting can be and um, as you know I love to act and I just feel like sometimes that personal nature prevents some folks from really perceiving how much craft goes into it. Yeah. I just want to like respect artists or actors as artists with a craft yeah. and that it's not always just about even if it's deeply personal, it doesn't mean that you just show up. Oh no. I mean, there's so much work you do beforehand and for me like I've never been in a consistent acting class. I yeah. just I've visited, I've audited and I just I've never I've never been consistent in class, but what I found works for me was just learning about all of the different crafts and then taking bits and pieces, pieces. of them and creating my own. And so, yeah, I like to do, a, I, I mean, it's different for every character, but it's like, it's, it's like diary entries, yeah. backstories, uh, imagery, even just in the physical. Like the, I like to embody, you know, my character. Like in the, the you live in your body yeah. a way that might be different than the way your character exactly. does. Exactly. Yeah. Like Maddie, for me, like she was a challenge. Like how so? I, I mean. I just love her. Like, I'm not as, like, bold as her in certain ways. You would, like, listen to her song if she was a rapper, yes. but you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. Which is amazing. Act on some things that she, you know, Yeah, does. and I think people, well, it feels like some people think that because your performance is so compelling that you're just like her. Yeah, like, I get crazy messages from people, like, <laughs> talking to me as if I'm her, and I'm yeah. just like, I'm not her. Like, you're like, I me. literally don't wear matching baby girl, baby girl outfits like since little 2010. skirts and shirts, which I love, <laughs> no, but it's there just was like, a time. I mean, you me I'm just yeah. yeah and also I think that relates to your creative entrepreneurship and how it would be really easy for someone who doesn't know you to be like Alexa Demi she's like a gorgeous young actress and then it's I like okay well she's a gorgeous young actress who is producing projects, is literally getting her shit green lit, who is championing, something I love about you is the way that you hold every creator you love's hand and you really shepherd, and myself included, like Thank I'm you. so grateful for all of the support that you offer Aww. and you're so generous with it. Oh, I just like to nurture, like I like to nurture dreams and I like to nurture the dreams of my friends and people that I just believe in. If right. I see you and I believe in you, I'm going to want to do all that I can to help you. And so part of producing my own projects and, and is, is having friends and people I believe in be a part of that. Do you think God is the best artist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we've spoken and about... The fairies. Yes, we're fairies and we don't spell it the normal way. No. We spell it the really esoteric way <laughs> with the E in the middle. <laughs> Um, my favorite story is when Alexa's little sister got worried that she spelled fairy wrong in public because we were using that really uh, yeah, legitimate way. It's, it's legitimate. I'm so glad to know you in this lifetime and every lifetime. Me too. Um, I know we both went to L.A. public schools and yes. I had an experience where I had a lot of education that felt really 
resonant or meant for me, um, especially in regards to the arts and humanities. I know we've spoken a bit about how you feel like that maybe wasn't the case. Why do you think yeah. it's so empowering to provide arts education to kids? Well, I mean, for me, I went to public schools in L.A. and I never had uh, the best art resources. I mean, in high school, I was denied entry into art class every single year that I've asked. Because, Can you imagine? Yeah, because they were packed or whatever. And, um, not enough resources. Exactly, not enough resources. And luckily, like, I just wasn't going to take no for an answer, so I took it upon myself to just create on my yeah. own. But a lot of kids would be really discouraged. Or, like, for example, my little sister incredible artists like genius artists but she doesn't have the greatest resources and the only way for her to to have them is to pay to be in some special programs and unfortunately like we don't come from money so it's right. it's not it's not as easy so and it's really it's like, well, how many are you going to pay for at once exactly for every single one exactly i mean when you're a young person i feel like you should really have free access to yeah. all of it because in both of our cases you might just end up being good at a lot of it exactly and we don't have to just pick that one area of specialization no. to invest in and you should be able to explore all of those areas of art and they should be accessible at your school and so is it a hope for I mean, I know it's hope for me, but do you wish that as your career continues to flourish and your life continues to be so sweet and sweeter and sweeter than ever, do you hope to sort of support those efforts in L.A. specifically to get arts education more universally? A hundred percent. It's been a goal of mine since I was in school. I have a really... Um, I have a really strong, strong vision for something that I want to create in the future. But as of now, I, I think just working with different arts charities, there's an incredible one called PS Arts. And the good thing about them is they provide the art programs during the school day. So you don't have to go to a, a workshop or an after school yeah. program. It's there for you in your school. So. I really love that it's during the day because yeah. it also doesn't require parents who are exactly. off work who are to like, drive I can't you. Take you or right. you can't go, you know. So yeah, it's during your school and they provide like dance, visual arts, theater. It's, it's really amazing. What is one thing about your own creativity or artistic process that, like, if you, what's one false belief you've had about creativity yourself that you want to dispel in the minds of other people? Um, that I'm not good enough, that you're True. not good enough. I mean, often... It's so relatable. Yeah, like, I hold so many different things so close to my heart, and I respect them so much that I'm often really hard on myself, and... I kind of tell myself like you're not good enough like it, you know yeah. but it's I mean not anymore I, I'm we're no, past course, that but, but like or maybe sometimes but there's always new iterations right where exactly. it's like oh I'm plenty good enough to do this interview with Alexa because I have a beautiful friendship but oh this next curator yeah. is somebody I'm not as you know it just yeah, comes yeah, up for yeah. me too it's our mind our mind wants to just you don't drag need to believe everything you think no you don't you don't Please have don't. to believe everything you think it's not for you to take on no and art is art like make what you want to make it's beautiful and don't censor it and don't like before you start making something, don't think, like, is this correct? Like, just make shit, you right. know? So, yeah, I think just be free. Something that's make really important art. to ask is, what do you think my viewers should know about me? Oh, <laughs> 
So I think the viewers should really know that you are a multi-talented goddess. You are an incredible actress. Thank you, babe. Writer. I can't wait till you're directing friends. so I can really get that Honey, role. Honey, let's go. <laughs> I got you. I know you do, and I appreciate it so much. I got you. I'm so excited. Um, can you say this for me? Like something like, I'm Alexa Demi, and I support arts education in Los Angeles. I'm Alexa Demi, and I support arts education in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I you love for you. having me. My next guest is Hans Ulrich Obris, the artistic director at the Serpentine Galleries, London. He's the author of The Interview Project, A Brief History of Curating, Ways of Curating, and known for his prolific curiosity. We first met, um, I think, in the Serpentine in 2013 when I was still in college, so it was very fun to get together for a few minutes at Freeze, and it's always fun interviewing a master interviewer, so I hope you feel the same. Enjoy. When I was 16, 17, I went to the studio of Fish Levi's, the Swiss wow. artist. And they were actually filming the way things go, their extraordinary film of the chain reaction. And that triggered a chain reaction in my life and I started to make studio visits basically all over, all over Europe by night train. And uh, I would learn from artists, you know. So Alighiero Boetti would advise me, he would give me the task yeah. to ask artists about their unrealized projects. And then Amazing. I would go to Rosemarie Trockel and she would say, you know, that she thinks it's very important because it was the moment when Louis Bourgeois started to be well-known in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, she said, there are many more extraordinary women artists who haven't had the recognition and pioneering artists. So she said, we should just go from city to city and I ask who them. these artists are, meet with them. And, and she said, I don't have time. I'm an artist. I have yeah. to do my own work. But she says, that's for you. So again, she gave me a task. I love and that. And so I have been to homework. so many cities, exactly homework. And so that's, for example, how the Luchita Wotaro show happened. Yeah. Because I was in L.A. two or three up. years ago, and I asked Petina and Kevin McGarry, who is also here. Yes. I asked Petina and Kevin, you know, who are the pioneering artists in L.A. And they brought me to Luchita's home. So cool. And we now did the show at the Serpentine, which now it's a homecoming. Totally. The show came now back, actually. We curated it with Rebecca Lewin yeah. and Joseph Constable at the Serpentine. And it now came it's to L.A., to LACMA. Uh, with Michael Govan, yeah. actually Jenny King curated an expanded version of it. And so that amazing. idea that we also, you know, we tour shows, but that they are, it's not homogenizing, that we are, it's just package tours, but they always locally connect. And because Luchita is from LA, you know, they used works which are here. Yeah. And so the exhibition has, you know, includes many works which have never been seen, which Jenny found so here cool. in the studio. And uh, so then from Rosemary, I learned to visit these pioneering artists I'm and so that's glad. now also happening with the uh, climate emergency you see right. because artists I mean for example I spoke a lot with Tino Segal and he would sort of reintroduce me to the necessity to travel more by train yeah. I learned from Rose Wiley that basically you know she has never actually thrown clothes away or wow. she's never given clothes away she would always repair them and so she's invented this amazing style the paint of Rose yeah. Wiley with a lot of patches uh, so and that's so another sustainable and very amazing. sustainable. And then you know I've learned from Ian Chang, 
uh, he made a graveyard for email that you know email uses a lot of energy yeah, wastes a lot of big energy they're big inboxes <laughs> so you know again learning from artists is what it's i always your do your whole life right and when you go around to different cities and experience different artists in studio visits do you approach your conversation or your experience with each artist the same do you tailor it to their specific identity yeah so obviously there are certain recurrent questions i think I mean, the only question I always ask is the question about the unrealized project. I love that. I always want, because, you know, we know a lot about architects' unrealized projects because right. they publish it very regularly. But we, are, we know almost nothing about artists, scientists, musicians, yeah. uh, poets' unrealized projects. But what they want. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, there are projects which have been too big to be realized. There are projects which have been too small to be realized. Or perhaps it's drawing on a piece of their creativity that isn't as public or exactly. well-known as other aspects. Then is all, exactly. And then there's also projects which have been, you know, maybe censored. Right. And then Doris Lessing always told me there's also the projects which are self-censored, the projects we haven't dared to do yet. Yeah. Uh, so there are many different, you know, that unrealized projects. Is so crazy. I'm, I'm kind of mapping those projects, and Beautiful. I hope to help artists to realize them. I was curious, what is your unrealized project? Having a global talk show, baby. <laughs> Being on television. We are in a talk Being, show. Yeah. You're having a talk show. I have a talk show, but I guess I always dream of just amplifying conversation and community for everybody, and telling stories in ways, you know. I want to make films, right? And I think yeah. being in LA, it's just, I'm a screenwriter, I'm a journalist, and I just, I go with the flow. <laughs> what, what are your favorite talk shows from history? What talk shows inspire you? Well, I really do think Oprah is the legend for a reason because she's so warm. And what I'm learning about talk show hosting and what I'd be curious to ask you because you're such an excellent interviewer is something I'm enjoying is kind of playing dumb. Uh, which sounds silly, but I feel like people are so afraid to ask questions because we want to assume we know the answer or we don't want to offend somebody. I'm just really enjoying this Oprah, even though she's so accomplished and smart, whatever you think of her, uh, when she asks somebody a question, she just acts like she's your 11-year-old niece. You know, she is so empathetic and curious, and I just want to retain some of that. It's interesting, yeah, because also um, I knew Stats Turkle very well, the great, you know, yeah. historian, and he, I think, made 10,000 hours of conversations. It's so one of cool. the biggest archives. And he gave me the advice, you know, whenever I go and make a conversation, is to be not too well prepared with equipment. Right. Like the fact that the equipment is kind of on the verge of breaking it down. It takes away, it should never be intimidating. And I think the idea of empathy is very important, yeah. the idea of empathy. And I always also ask... Besides the unrealized you know, project, I always ask the question about the next generation. Right. Because I think it's important that we enable the next generation. So I also always ask artists, you know, or poets or writers, who are kind of emerging artists I should look at. Totally. Uh, so that I you know, can make research and see more. And I ask them also how can we transmit. Rainer Maria Rilke yeah. wrote this amazing book, The Advice to a Young Poet. So I would always ask artists, you know, what is your advice to a young artist? Right. What is your advice to a young architect, a young yeah. poet? A and young so curator, a young yeah, artistic exactly. director. And then the other recurrent question is about beginnings, you know. I find it very interesting how to begin with the beginning and see how someone came to art. Also how, how someone came to what they do. Right. If there was an epiphany, if it was a gradual process, if there was an encounter. And then I always also ask, it's another recurrent question, what's the number one? in their catalogue raisonné. Right. 
right. with the visual artist, you know, the first work they consider to be valid and no longer student work, and why yeah. that's that's where their work begins. What is what are your recurrent questions? My recurrent questions are, how do you feel right now? <laughs> you ask me that. What do you love the most about what you do? I feel sometimes we're so focused on the work, right? Like yeah. I could, I mean, sometimes you want to guess the answer, but. I, I know how much you love your work because of the way it connects you to artists and those ideas and you give me such student vibes and I love that. <laughs> and I also love junctions, you know, I, when I wake up in the morning, I, the first thing I do is I, I always read 15 minutes of Edouard Glissant and uh, he of course is the great Martinique writer yeah. whom I think is really, he's a great toolbox for our time because he understood that we live in an age of globalization yeah. where the homogenizing forces lead to the disappearance of many things like right. cultural disappearances, you know, languages disappear but also, you know, extinction occurs. Land, yeah. Exactly. And he also understood that there, will be a, there is a counter reaction to this globalization which is new forms of localism, new yeah. forms of nationalism, new forms of racism and he right. said we need to resist that very vehemently and so he said, you know, we need to resist the homogenized globalization and we need to resist the counter-reaction. Yeah. So he said we need a new form of globalization which he called mondialité and that's a global dialogue which listens. And I think it's very important and that's why I also love talk shows which, which are why I love interviews yeah. because I think it's less now about manifestos but it's about listening to each other but also listening to other species, listening to plants, listening, listening to, to plants. the planet, listening to other planets. Uh, it's very important, this idea of Etelatnan always says that. Etelatnan yeah. says we have to listen, we have to learn to listen. And I think being a talk show host and interviewer is, that's the biggest meditation and the biggest experience of listening I ever have. We're going to wrap up, I know you have a lot going on, but why, what do you love the most about waking up brutally early? Yeah, when I wake up in the morning, I read Edouard Glissant and I really hope that there are going to be meat more translations. I think it's urgent that everybody has, reads, access. has access to Edouard Glissant. Um, and then I think the second thing I do in the morning is I always think who of my friends and people I know haven't met each other. And I, I send a few emails so saying, lovely. you know, this is a cyber introduction. It's urgent you meet. So yeah. I, I begin the day by pe introducing people to each other. How do you start your day? I love to wake up very early as well. I usually write uh, in, I write by hand in a pink diary and pink pen. And I sort of center myself. I really believe that if I don't know how I feel, I'm not going to have the tools to achieve the different states that are expected or desired out of my day. So... Similarly, I guess, but now I want some Lisan. <laughs> thank you so much for being thank here. You so and thank much. you for everything and your support. When we talk about beginnings, I'll always remember my time at the Serpentine. Thank you. It's great to see you. <laughs> what is something you belong to or support for, uh, for your art and Bettina to acknowledge? If you could say, I support or I am a member of, I am a part of. I love for your art. Me too. And as Gilbert and Charles say, to be with art is all we ask. We're here in the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles 2020. I am with the outstanding Hans Ulrich Obrist, artistic director of the Serpentine Gallery in London, writer, art critic, and friend. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be on Tiani Talks. Thank you so much. Forever Tiani Talks. Welcome back to Telethon for Your Art. We're live from the For Your Art booth at 
Freeze Los Angeles. I'm Tierney Finster, host of Tierney Talks. And my guest is the beloved Los Angeles icon, art star, Peter Shire. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm here. I'm good. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, dear. <laughs> I mean, I have to acknowledge that you are the artist behind the beautiful pieces we're sat on. Sitting on, yeah. Do you oh. often sit on your own uh, chairs and do you use the furniture Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy that doesn't have to stand behind my work. I can just sit on it. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to uh, sit on. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever been... Sometimes easier than others, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I heard today is a very special day. Yeah, We're celebrating Freeze, but what else are we celebrating? Well, you know, things happen, and then you look back, and, and you all of a sudden realize there's this continuity. And the first record I ever bought in my life, 45 RPM with the big hole, mm -hmm. was Donna by Richie Valens. Oh, Donna. That one? That's it. And, uh, yeah, I was probably, what, 12 years old or something. And uh, later I got married, and it turned out my wife's name is Donna. Well, it was that before we got married. And, <laughs> she but, changed her name Yeah, but, I, you know, and I didn't think, you know, I've got to have her because her name is, like, my first record. It just, right, it just was synchronistic. And today is her birthday. Happy so happy birthday, birthday. Donna. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Do you feel like synchronicity and that sort of magic quality of things aligning, has that come up for you a lot over the course of your art practice in life? Yeah. I, I, you know, on short notice, it's hard to think of all the times, but totally. of course. it's To me, I feel like that's just the magic that keeps me at it. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your approach to the objects we're sitting on. Um, Will you tell me a little carefully. bit about? I'm carefully yeah, sitting yeah, here. Hard I'm not corners. chipping. Yeah, I'm not I'm chipping. Not chipping. Yeah. I'm not tarnishing. Uh, we're insured. Just polishing a little. Insured. <laughs> um, what is the story of these objects? How long have they been around, and do they come out often? Uh, out of the storage, yeah. you mean? <laughs> yeah, surprising amount, and. Uh, this one's been a big hit on Instagram lately. Why do you think that is? Oh, because it's so good. It's so amazing. No, it's you no know, what surprise. am I supposed to say to that? Right? I know, right? You know. But does it, I mean, you've had such a like, gorgeous career, but does it ever like amuse or surprise you when certain things kind of pick up at a certain time or really come into fashion or something? Yeah, well, this is a big question. It's sort of like, you know, was I dead in between? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and people like the idea of reinvention and all of that. And, and it sort of implies that, I don't know, it's a weird thing. And, and it, it, this is a detailed discussion, you know, about value and perceived totally. value. Yeah. And, 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 and how things, you know, certain people imagine things at a certain time that, again, carries longer you know one of the things that comes to mind is Julius Shulman you know his genius was he knew what to photograph and he's got these photographs of supermarkets you know and you're going yeah why the devil with a capital F didn't everybody shoot supermarkets look at the prices on the things and how it was set up right. you know but he had the he he saw it and so luckily 
you know. He pursued value in it. In you know, the funny story is, yeah. is he got on me and he, he was an irritable old sucker. And he says, you got to have an iconic image. Wow, you got to, you know, he's, he's just chewing me up. And he's got these banners of the case study house around his house from the telephone poles. Yeah. And I'm going, I, d I don't know. Will he understand that my iconic image is a chair? Right, like... <laughs> said, we'll just let him go, you know, let him do his and thing. And you were able to align with yourself and your own perspective enough to know that for you, the chair was everything you wanted to express, or at least something that you really believed summarized your perspective or something. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I, yeah, it's a format that, uh, that carries across various lines. Do you appreciate or does it add extra value to you that objects like this, while they're so rare and amazing, that they're also like functional and exist in the context of, sometimes at least in the context of people's daily lives? Yeah, well, that's been a big deal. And the big deal is that it's inclusive. Right. And it includes, you know, people always go, well, I don't know anything about art because they've been taught to back off and be, be apologetic and all that. And that's, that's wrong. Right. You know, people should bring them into the tent and this is the bridge. Because they can say, oh. <laughs> oh, it's a chair. I don't know anything oh, about a painting, yeah, but I know about chairs. And, and what look kind at of chair is that? <laughs> what was this person dreaming of? Yeah. yeah I love it. Sex. Exactly. I That's mean, what art isn't sexy? Not good art. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I was a sex journalist, so I have This could a really go off range. the tracks. <laughs> I hope we explode it on this. <laughs> Um, you mentioned yeah, your. Yeah, don't drop the chair in the shower. Yeah, we. You mentioned your wife Donna. Um, do you feel there's any one aspect of your personal life that has emboldened or grounded you the most throughout your? You mean besides her? I mean, maybe it's her. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been together a long time? Yeah. Try. Uh, are we just had our forty-first? Forty-first uh, uh, anniversary. No, it's the forty-second. Forty-second. No, I can't count. I mean, I asked because her I think that her mother. We were together about three years before that, and her mother told her. I won't cross the threshold of anyone living in sin. Oh. <laughs> so you've been living in sin. Uh, I think that was, you know, get on with it, kiddo. Yeah, get it up. Buy the cow or whatever. Yeah, right, buy to the use, cow. Yeah, to use unfriendly language, I guess. Huh? Um, I mean, I don't want to call Donald. <laughs> I love how much joy your work creates for people and the Thanks. way you explore color. I know it's a childish question, but do you have a favorite color? Oh yeah, the favorite color, favorite food. Uh, Come on, shoot yeah. them off. Um, well, color, I'm prone to red. Red. Yeah, red magenta. Ooh, red so magenta yellow. Is magenta kind of bluish red, but with something yeah, else? Yeah, it's, it's on going towards purple. Yeah, mm, I love it. Yes, magenta. I was very um, in love with a cartoon character named Magenta. Yeah, aptly named. <laughs> I know that you have a lot going on here. Is there anything about Freeze that you're most excited to experience as your day continues? <laughs> well, they. The, More the, photo ops. This is, no, this is the, uh, the you know. Let's I could, get the money I, I shot. Could, I, they could cut me right here. No, no. Uh, Let's get the money shot. He said that about you know, freeze. I mean, no. You see the, the crowd <laughs> really, is gathering because they're obsessed with you, Peter. Yeah. 
But, well, yeah, well, we're, oh, I'm getting coached here on my sponsors. The audience is curious. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, actually, my, my nephew is, has got a, 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 a display here. Amazing. Greg Ito. And, uh, and so, yeah, right, you know, it's like, is he two years old? Is he one year? And I had to watch these interminable family videos of yes. them going around on a tricycle. Here he is, you know. You can, can you believe it when he announced he was going to be an artist? His parents probably wanted to kill me. Right, that seed you planted. Yeah. And, and they, watered. <laughs> but my stock went way up. Good. Uh, but, but, yeah, you know, I mean, this is an amazing event. We talked about this a little earlier, and it's, you know, it's part of the world economy, you know, coming to L.A., L.A., whatever, you know, those ongoing L.A., you know, regional debates. You yeah. know that San Francisco, northern and southern California, San Francisco tried to literally, in the Senate, tried to secede from Southern California oh, wow. twice in the last century. That's Not this crazy. one, but the last one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, every, you know, New York, L.A., you know, yeah. whatever, you know. Well, you're, uh, I, you're Team L.A. <laughs> What's your favorite part of living the most of your life, like, in L.A. and kind of traveling plenty but staying put in that groundedness? Uh, always room for a table saw. Uh, all that room. See, I didn't Beautiful. even have to think about that. Yeah, just yeah, the you know, space it's afforded I'd go to you. places and I'd go, well, where does the table saw go? Oh. How do you fit it all? Otherwise, right? you want to live everywhere. You know, you're on vacation yeah, and that's great. Amazing. Yeah, but I mean, I grew up in the valley and all around LA. And what part of the valley? I grew up in Van Nuys. No. I live in North Hills. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, everyone loves Van Nuys, right? What yeah. could be better? Yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing to be in conversation with I such an icon. I heard it was named by a couple of old Jewish ladies, and one asked the other, what do you think? And she said, Van Nuys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm you for really laughing. I'm really glad to learn it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, I could talk to you for hours, and I hope that one day I get to. Okay. But I'm going to let you free to enjoy the fair. It's oh, okay. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. As we Does wrap that up, mean it's over? It's I don't want to go. It's almost over, babe. No. Um, we have one more question, which is... Is we're asking everyone to kind of reframe the question in your answer, which is, what is something that you belong to or that you really support and that you would like to amplify in this context? We mean within uh, within Freeze? Within Los Angeles, within, within art, within the world. Oh, well, uh, uh, um, people should give up on greed. Greed. Yeah, I think that's what powers all uh, the, the basic problems. Right. Do you think that greed is getting worse or better? <laughs> oh. Has <laughs> it always worse been greedy? Has yeah. <laughs> it always been this greedy? <laughs> yeah, I think it's based in different ways. Right. But you know, and it and uh, but it's yeah, it's sort of DNA'd in. Life. You know, yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you. More to come. Thank you. I want to visit your studio in Echo Park one day. We're waiting for you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yes, bye. 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 We're live. We're, We're back at Telethon for Your Art in the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles 2020. 
I'm so happy to be here with Sam Buck and Seth Bogart. There's Hi. someone flirting off screen and it's making me nervous. Oh, I wish someone was flirting with me off screen consensually. Um, He's Sam going away. Seth. He's going okay, away. Good. Someone please get that person. <laughs> I'm happy to be here because you both are amazing artists and musicians. And no, I personally you. love art and music. Same. <laughs> Art and music is the lifeblood of I live this for industry. Art. Yeah. For Los Angeles. Are we allowed <laughs> to talk about inappropriate stuff? Please ask me anything. Okay, you'd the like. guy that just left just tried to blow me in the porta potty. No. Shut like up. right before Here? he's like, you seem nervous. And so right he now, was and willing I was like, to offer no, you I only have 30 seconds. for the before the telethon. Yeah. All sorts of things are happening Make here. It fast. In the <laughs> we're actually in New York City. You can't tell, but we're surrounded by. Is this what they call brownstones? These are brownstones. We're kind of like I'd call this like either Crown Heights or you know the Bronx or I've you know. I've never been to New York, so. to New York either. Never? <laughs> no, <I haven't. laughs> no, but we didn't. He lived there. We didn't. We're California. I've only lived in Los Angeles, everyone. Um, it's my 20 blank Gold star. year. Yeah. 20, what's the blank? It's the last digit of my age. Okay, I'm about to be 40. Woohoo! I was going to ask you're a Pisces. Pisces, Pisces season's yeah. approaching. Scorp. You're a Scorpio? I knew you were hot. <laughs> my Venus Dude. sign is Scorpio. Now, I just, I feel like. I just learned like what the other planets are. Are where it's like I still I cannot remember anything. You're becoming globalized. I'm a Taurus moon and a Capricorn rising. Oh, watch out! <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. Oh shit! Oh, people are often intimidated by Capricorns. It's the end and beginning of the year, so the end of December mm. and the beginning oh, yeah, of January. Like, Death. 28? Yes! Is it? You knew oh my god, how do I remember that? That's crazy. <laughs> Death? Death. <laughs> so, I know you two are friends and you two are my friends, but tell me about what, how you've collaborated together in the last year. Um, I feel like you, you exchange yeah. tastes and resources and fun, so tell me about it. That's well, true. We've been doing we've really collaborated cute stuff. in many ways, but like most recently, Sam had a painting show at my studio shop Wiggles. Wiggles. Yes. Yeah. It was very successful. He sold almost everything. Oh wow. Wiggles at 5440 <laughs> Monte Vista Five, Street. 5440 Monte Open Vista Open 4 hours Street. a week. We have a brief limit <laughs> avail a, a brief window but an okay. abundant catalog. Exactly. Yeah. Open and 4 huge hours a week. Do you feel like um, showing paintings at a studio or a space that is so artist-run was, like, more cozy or comforting in any way? I mean, it was literally a dream come true because it was just kind of like I, I had been looking for an informal space to show my paintings because, you know, I do exist outside of the art world. But Also, but, I'm a huge fan. Me too. But painting is like what sustains my music career, actually. It's like painting is what pays for the music stuff. Honestly, then, same. Yeah. Oh, and you both feel that way? I mean, I, there's been times where I made money for music, but it's definitely not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Seth just like was so generous to offer me 
some space in the studio for a few weeks and it was like the perfect way to it was my first show in LA and it was just like yeah, so you had your debut show in LA and I bought yeah. the best the last year tell me about it it's gorgeous um I don't know he's just a real natural talent you didn't go to school either right no I didn't neither of us went to art school oh, and you didn't go to art school no 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 I just I started painting like five years ago actually oh, same wow. yeah. yeah yeah maybe six Oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, maybe oh, you could show me a thing or two. Yeah, he's older. Yeah, I'm much older, so I I'm like a decade older. Too. I feel like sometimes it's awkward to ascribe uh, meaning or words to someone's like artwork, but um, yeah. I just feel so like transported and held by the sort of um, not necessarily landscapes, but like the homes and the like visuals you provide in your painting. Oh my God, thank you so much. And when an amazing artist like you shares their work on Instagram, it is just such a cleansing of the feed. It's kind of like a, <laughs> yeah, it's like a break from re from the day. Yeah, like, oh, I'm so glad you think of it that way because Instagram is the main way I sell paintings because really? like I don't, I don't have a gallery or anything. And I, I always wonder if it's like, a bur a burden on the feed, or if it if it no, does. No, it's not a burden. I'm. I think like unfortunately, the feed is filled with different with tropes, and yeah. it's just like yeah. it's probably a burden for some and a pleasure for others. True. <laughs> <you know? laughs> he wants to make sure you know it is still a burden yeah. for some people. Yeah, definitely for some. I would say it's a huge burden. But I mean, lots of unfollowing going on. <laughs> I think the way of like. I mean, there's so many artists in Los Angeles, and like I, we probably all take it for granted because we're in community with so many of each other. But like, the realities of how people earn money and how people can like continue to fuel their passion or their like not necessarily truer, but just one of their really personal perspectives. It's really interesting that you bring it up. Yeah. I personally love both of your music too. Thank you. Everybody already knows that I've directed music videos for Seth Bogart it's, and, and I've starred in many. I mean, oh. it's pretty countless at this point. And I hope that Sam Buck invites me to star in a music video one day too. Oh my God, my first video. I want to make a like, We should make a video for him. He says there might be one on the way for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, if you agree to it. Okay, I consent. But I feel like we should make Sam a video together. Oh. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be so fun. That would be a dream for like a while. I mean, I feel like, um, so we're at Freeze and we're having an amazing time, but I do feel, literally, but like art fairs tend to come with like, just this context that maybe they're very serious or they're very insider or like that, um, I don't know, like the formalized art world has a specific set of like expectations and I really appreciate, and I don't always feel like those involve fun or like yeah. the prioritization of joy and I feel like both of you definitely do that really not well. that's I mean especially Seth inspires me in that way so much total clown Excuse. that's a compliment I'm definitely way too silly for this world thanks <laughs> that's why you show us truth we both exist within the silly industrial truth. complex as the champions silly. of the silly industrial complex but we are here to monetize our joy yeah monetize me um i will say that you were one of my most listened to artists on spotify Shut 2019 up. but um, i was wow. too embarrassed okay. to post the screenshot i know oh. <laughs> sorry i honestly <laughs> was wondering if spotify was like blocking me out of people's lists oh because God, i didn't really see a lot of yeah then. i mean please that yeah, would we really want to see that screenshot for proof please <laughs> <laughs> 
This one, I feel like there might be some exaggerating going on. You were actually my artist of the decade. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't let me post it. Oh, my God. Instagram was down. Instagram was, yeah, right. They have something really fucked up against you. (laughs) Mostly because you're independent. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're all shadow man for nudity, so whatever. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, you mentioned Wiggles. Wiggles what is your new studio store concept space. Four hours a week. Four hours a Just week. Catch that. it when you can. Um, and that's where Sam had his show. Can you tell us a little bit more about Wiggles and how it is uh, sort of unique from other spaces you've run and what your goals are there? Well, it's kind of like a place for me to make lots of money, um, <laughs> first and foremost, because it's nice to be able to sell my work directly to the people and not have to give a cut to anybody. True. And it helps pay my rent, is the truth. But even better than that is that it's also a place where I can invite really talented friends to do projects or like special collaborations or shows. Amazing. And um, it's like no pressure and just fun. You know? Saturdays at Wiggles. Saturdays at Wiggles. And sometimes we have nights at Wiggles, like when we have a special thing like Sam. Oh. Tierney Talks at Wiggles. Yeah, Tierney Talks should def do something at Wiggles. What are Who are some of the other artists you have coming along the way? Um, my friend Alake, Schilling, and Amazing. Misa Chan are working on a like collaboration Edition. It was going to cool. be a sculpture, but I don't know what it's going to be now. Uh-huh. Um, and then Amy Baxter oh, is, is going to do, do a sculpture show. Cool. And I think Peggy might do something. Peggy Nolan might do something at some point, too. Peggy Nolan will be joining us here at Freeze on I've Sunday. heard. Yes, I've seen the list. That Hardcore so Tina. Oh, Hardcore Tina did a Tweety by Teeny. Um, by Tweeties. Yeah. Oh, and then we had a... Tweeties by Teeny. It was a collection of Tweety Bird ceramics and crafts and then also we had my friend Amy Gogan she wanted to get her face removed so we made this like (laughs) benefit tea that she drew in first grade that's really cool oh my god it sold out in a second and there was crazy rumors that Billie Eilish was at Wiggles I couldn't even get one. I know Amy did. I mean, she (laughs) she does indeed own one of the shirts, but she was most likely not at Wiggles. Billie Eilish owns one of the shirts. Yeah, she owns one of the shirts. Seth knows Billie Eilish. And everyone kept being like, she was at Wiggles. And I'm like, honestly, I didn't even start that rumor, but like, no. I have wasn't. to admit that I saw a green streak of hair over here earlier. She's, she's at Freeze. She's at Freeze. It was a new rumor. I guess she lives with her parents in Highland Park, which is why the rumor was started. Wait, and so we have to, t- I mean, how was your encounter with Luann? With who? Well, here at the Freeze bath lot, <laughs> I mean, uh, Sam... Wait, not to blow up your spot. Yeah, Sam brought up that I did just meet the Countess Luann from Real Housewives. Seth, oh, Seth I was like, who's that? <laughs> I only know the Beverly Hills. In the last mom. couple of years, I fully come out as a Bravo Supporter. celebrity in training and a full archivist of Bravo, so... Oh, I mean, you've got that. It was everything to yeah. me. You're I on mean, the way. Luan. She seemed like she was very warm towards you. You know, very... Is did a, you get a pick? <laughs> I got a pick on film, so we're going to have to wait for that oh, to develop. Oh, film, I love uh, that. She was, in fact, kind. I told Countess Luann that, that she was the best artist here. Uh, I told her she was among yeah. the best artists here, and that's when she became warm. Did she get that? In fact, she did. Yeah. <laughs> she was really able to take that in. Yeah, more so than good. probably you guys, which it's also true for. Wait, you told her she was the best artist or she was among the best? I told her she was among the best because I never know who's filming and I don't want to go down calling anyone mm, artist the very okay, best. I get mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Sam, before we wrap up here, I really want to talk about the kind of like spaces you create and the community you have here through your regular music and variety show. Oh, yes. Every time that I can make your show, I think it's a monthly show on Thursdays. It is. It's every third Thursday at every third Thursday. the Love Song Bar downtown. I which is to everyone. Which is... Uh, <laughs> not true. Literally not true. I'm just like, <laughs> Literally zero. <laughs> like, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault. No, no. It's really not. Um, <laughs> Word. <laughs> it's called KFM. It's a, it's a country karaoke show, which is in... It'll, it's in the Region Theater in a, in a smaller venue called the yeah. Love Song Bar. Let's just call it the Region Theater. Yeah, let's call it the Region Theater. <laughs> honey. It's out. a free show. Um... Every third Thursday, it's basically like a karaoke performance show where I just invite different people. I invite like, you know, 14 different people to come sing a country song of their choosing. My band opens and closes. I mean, it's, it's like... You can be invited, and you can also ask, too. Right. I've asked, and I've received pretty warm responses. Have you done it? Oh, no, I asked you, and I felt well, like... Well, yeah. I need to go to vocalapoweracademy.com like in yeah. Topanga, and when I go there, then I'm going to... What, you have go to go to, to what? Vocalpoweracademy.com in Topanga. It's a singing school. Holy oh, shit. Oh, I need to go there, too. I mean... I don't have... I don't know. Uh-huh. I can't really... The truth is, vocal range. skill is not a requirement to perform. It's just You're like... You're definitely a performer. It's about oh. magnetism. You know you what know, I mean? thank you. I definitely know I have magnetism, but part of the reason your show is... I would love to see all types of artists there, but I will say that you have so many amazing singers that even if it's like a karaoke performance show, it really does feel like a musical event in a really high caliber totally. way. So I will admit that I've been insecure, but I can't wait to take the it stage is, soon. It can be a bit nerve-wracking, and I don't even participate in the karaoke anymore because it made <laughs> me don't? too nervous. No, oh, but you do your own music. I do my songs, and then I let other people do their choice of songs but rich, it is a really fun way I just got rich this is very community <laughs> I'm singing oh you got it uh, vocal faces. lessons not needed lubed <laughs> I can sing both of their songs um, well I, we're going to wrap up soon I wanted to ask you both a question which is something that we're having people rephrase my question and your okay. answer so big put your caps on um the question is, what is something you belong to or want to show your support of? You first, please. Oh, <laughs> let me just think for one moment. What is Let's something see. we belong to or want to show our support of? Mm-hmm, like, oh, I know. Come on, okay. give it to us. Okay, something that I want to show my support for would be just Oil Can Harry's in oh, Studio yes. City. That's basically That's when so I moved cute. to LA. It was sort of like the first place that made me feel like, oh, this is my place. You know what I mean? Which is like an extremely diverse, like the oldest gay bar in LA, yeah, I think. Yeah, literally. Um, I believe oldest gay bar like place. west of Mississippi or something crazy. Yeah. And, and Oil Cans has been through a million different phases and it's doing well right now because last year, like Lady Gaga did her post Oscar party there last year so it was like they've gotten good publicity in the last year and it's like we've got a whole kind of like country moment happening right now but like they could use all the it's like they 
They need to keep going. We need to keep going. Yeah. Keep it's it a alive. great space. It's extremely diverse. It's like a gay bar, but it's like everyone is welcome. Yeah. Country nights on oil Tuesdays and Fridays. Harry's. We love Let's oil can go together. Let's go. I mean, I think that uh, growing up in LA, something I notice is like um, so many people move here to have futures, right? Or to like have the fantasy, the magic of new creation. And I think that's amazing. And that's always going to be that way. But I think sometimes part of that, like the like, I don't know, reverence or just acknowledgement of certain aspects of L.A. history. Mm -hmm. Often, like, you know, like we see it in Hollywood right now. They're going to be they're like, fuck it, let's move Amoeba. It's just, yeah. there's not a lot of regard for history no, in there's L.A. there's really not. And so Oil Can Harry's is just this amazing vestige of queer people in L.A. for, like, what, you know, too many years for me to count. It's 60, it just 70. had its 50-year anniversary. And actually, the, the bouncer just won the circle on netflix i joey. am obsessed with the circle uh, shut up <laughs> joey joey is family to me joey is first of all so hot so sexy he's so cute to bring it back to bravo Wait, I don't know. the circle is a netflix phenomenon in which people are in I, individual rooms individual apartments competing on a social network to like be the winner of a game show. It's like a reality game show that like takes place in an apartment building. Right? I encountered Joey, the winner of the circle, spoiler, as the guest bartender on Watch What Happens Live on Bravo, and that's what made so me watch the show. Watching You're him telling come me up, that I can see him at Oil Can Harry. I don't think he's gonna work there anymore now that he has like up. a half a million Instagram followers. Oh, it's like, wow. I mean, watching his come up has been so gratifying for me. Yeah, and it's he like, was always kind cool he deserves it so much he is like i mean he literally has been the door guy at this you know he's like close friends with all these like 80 year old gay guys he's just so supportive and so sweet and like he deserves all the success in the world totally we love joey and i mean i think that like uh oil can harry's is such an excellent example of like intergenerational relationships yeah, especially among like queer people and yeah so cool yeah. Well, I think our time is wrapping up. Do you want to show your support of something? I like the Tama Finland Foundation also because it's another like historic queer place in Los Angeles, and they invite young artists from like around the world to do month-long residencies. Wow! So, and they do lots of cool events. So it's also is one coming up tomorrow or tonight? Oh, we have like a so I curated a show there, and it's closing tomorrow. So for people tuning in, check tomorrow out the night. Tama Finland Foundation, Foundation. show. Co-curated by Seth Bogart. Where is it at? It's in Echo Park on Lavetta Terrace. I think that's Lavetta how you say Terrace it. Terrace. But yeah, it's just Park. a cool place to check out in general. It's kind of like a magical spot. Amazing. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions for me before we wrap up? How are you so good at your job? Uh, yeah, seriously. A high-pressured environment growing up. Hot. <laughs> 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 That's a wrap. We'll talk more soon. We'll be back. The telethon will be back soon. Thank you so much Thanks, for having Danny. us. Thank you. Thank you. We're Hi. back. We are live at the For Your Art booth at Freeze LA 2020. I'm so happy to continue the telethon with my next guest, Janixa Bravo. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sure I'm not alone. I can't emphasize enough how excited I am to see your newest film. 
what has been what has it been like showing Zola? Uh, kind of offering it to audiences. It's the beginning of the screenings. Um, it's been I've nested with this project for three years, and before that, there are two years where I really wanted it and it left my grip. And so it is, uh, it's hard to kind of put into words the experience of releasing in that way. I mean, I don't feel I've released all the way. I think when the movie comes out properly, then it will be fully birthed. Yeah, it'll be fully birthed, exactly. Like, I think we're still, we're still in parallel in some ways, right? And... And at a certain point when you make films, and perhaps it's like this when you also make any any work, any work that is artistic, once you expel it, it belongs to everyone right. and no longer is just yours. Yeah. And I think that at first that's jarring. The festival was beautiful. Sundance was very warm, very welcoming. The reception was unlike I could have imagined, but in a way also what I expected. Right. And I know that there's some ego in that, but I thought I did a good job and then and then I guess I did because it yeah. seemed like people liked it and yeah. that is it's a confusing sort of thing to hang out inside too good. <laughs> yeah it's and I and my natural my inherent body is when something is good is to like let's focus on what's negative here um so I'm gonna I go relate. towards that oh you do I mean, just because I think there's perfectionism elements or there's just such care to put into things that even if a lot is going gorgeously, you just sometimes are wondering about that one other thing or that one other aspect of it all. It feels like the what you just said reminded me of, like maybe four or five years ago, I had eight friends get married in one year. Oh, wow. And I had helped a lot of them with like getting the clothes, I used to be a stylist, so like getting dressed for their weddings and then at their weddings just sort of like taking on the role of of a wedding planner. Looking at the fit. Totally, and like being a a part of like the thing and the day. And I remember almost for everyone, no one had a good time. And, (laughs) um, And so I think that like the experience of artwork can sort of have that feeling like it's finally your wedding day and it's not perfect, or right. some aspect of it is, I guess, but it's not the thing. Or you're just hot, or your yeah. makeup's running, or like... It's like, I don't want to I don't want to drink because everything feels bad, I'm yeah. dehydrated, right. like the shoe's a little bit wrong because I haven't worn it on any other day. Totally. It's the wrong underwear. I don't underwear. want to get it dirty. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. these like, are such relatable experiences. One person makes a weird face, and you then decide that it's a representation of everything everyone's, that you've stood for and why it's failing. mocking your yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what it felt like. Yeah. It was my wedding day. I love that. I uh, I can only imagine because I feel like it's probably going to be an experience that continues as you really widely share the film but to then experience what really catches an audience or what really punctures a viewer and that the thing that they want to go home and talk about the film or approach you to speak about at the film if they have that lucky opportunity it might be something that you weren't even thinking about that. Not that you weren't thinking about it, but it might not have been something that calls out to you as the point, the takeaway, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that is the, in the end, why we're doing the thing that we are doing, right? Yeah. Is for 
for whatever that thing is that doesn't exactly have a word, but it's more like a feeling or a sense or a color. It's that. That overall experience. Yeah, that is a bit inexplicable. That's why film is the best art, <laughs> because you get to include so many Do you think aspects. film is the best art? It's my favorite. That's your favorite. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm like, do I think it's the best art? I say that because of, uh, and I know other experiences might contain a lot of elements too, but I feel the way that in a wonderful movie, the way that the sound and the fashion and the production design and the language, the way that it all kind of coalesces, it creates this unfathomable dynamic where you might not necessarily perceive that it's that amazing script that's making this so powerful, or you might not know that it's the, uh, you know, room tones and the really extreme, like, nuanced music and sound. Like, I just love in a film kind of getting lost in that construction. Yeah. Have you not experienced that in theater before? I wish I experienced a bit more. I, w I wish I experienced more theater in general, but yeah. I do feel that that's available. I feel like here in LA, we could have it's even a, more it's theater It's a little tough here. It's right? a little tough here. Because I think the thing you're talking about... Transcendence. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think film is incredible, obviously, but film is very manufactured, right? Like that aliveness, that messiness totally. of We're, theater, yeah. We're making that. We're creating yeah. the energy of spontaneity, whereas like Something you actually can get that. An incre incredible theater is to me unlike anything because the fact that it evaporates in a way or that it exists in yeah. memory that like it can be totally electric and that you'll never and get you it can't again. Go watch it tomorrow. And you can't repeat it. And figure out what you don't like about totally it. Totally <laughs> right because like you can go to a great night of theater go back to that play and it will not be a great night of theater. Yeah. And so that to me is Everyone's why I get like, re mood. yeah, get I really, really love excited. that perspective and honor it. And it kind of just excites me to experience more. Theater. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of shit theater out there, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> and so, and I think the thing that happens is that like, you see a bad play and for some reason people are like, no, thank you. I never right. need this again. It also costs more. Yeah. And you see a bad film. We all see bad films. You kind of laugh at them, brush it off, and we're going to go see another one. Because we can... It's so interesting. We have a lot bigger records of amazing and films we've seen. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And it feels... It requires a lot less of you. A, a shitty film, you can like... Disengage from totally. And a bad play is like using every part of your body, and you feel like you're being used. Stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? You're like, Am you I ever eating? Is it process something? But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's dark. It's a bad play is dark. I uh, I did act in a play over the summer, and in LA. Yeah, it was in a gallery space actually, but uh, it was called Ladies of the Canyon, and. Just it was my first time in a play in about ten years. Did you like it? It was incredible because I, obviously I'm a performer and I just like that kind of aliveness and that spontaneity. I, we only did a few nights, but just the fact of like the repetition of telling a story. You know, imagine you shot the same scene every day for two months or a week. It's just interesting how that can amplify and change things. And every night it can be different. Yeah. And so much of how the audience feels affects oh, your... Oh, so much. I mean, that's crazy. People were coming <laughs> in on the second night after a, a glorious first night and saying, 
they hate it. The audience hates it. And I was thinking, I would never, like, just in my own world, protecting my own energy, I was like, I would never say that at, like, the first app. Like, just shut up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because if, even if it is true, it's not our energy to decide right now, but just highlighting the impact that it can have, you know? Absolutely. So we spoke a little bit about Zola. I am wondering if you remember uh, your experience reading Ms. King's tweets or the stories about them for the first time. Were you captivated instantly? Yeah, I remember. I'm on a text chain with a group of black girls where they are my tether to what is hip. Like, yeah. I am deeply unhip. And... And it allegedly. Was, yeah, allegedly. I mean, I think I'm kind of on hip, <laughs> but like, yeah. So, um, I, it's one of these text chains that like, if I'm on set one day, like I'll look at my phone and there'll be like 175 unread messages. Right. It's like one of those. And yeah, I'm like, Oh totally. God. And so it was one of those days. It's like halfway through the day. So the story's been out it's or it's growing. almost done or like it's, it's in some way of its process. And I, I think I looked at my phone and was like, can't engage right now, but we'll look at later. Yeah. Got home, read their messages, then read it. And before I finished, I forwarded it to my manager and my agent. And I was like, how do this. we get this? I want it. It makes so much sense to me. It speaks to me. Like, Twitter, IP, how do you do that? Yeah. And 72 hours, they came back to me and said, there's an article we can go by way of getting the rights of this article and then comes her life rights. And I went for it, but I was one of plenty. Plenty I mean, and I, the, I didn't the get inbox it. was full. I, I the didn't DMs get it. Were full. I was also like the least fancy. Maybe there's someone less fancy than me that tried to, me, but no. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't electric enough to, to pop. Especially if there's a lot of names, those big names at the time or something are going to be the most attention-grabbing. The names got it. And so, yeah, it was basically instant. It took nothing for me to fall in love with it. I mean, it just How beautiful was. Is that? And I'm sure you've felt this in your life. There are these moments, it doesn't happen all the time, where something immediately it grabs you, yeah. you know, and it's something that happens kind of like in your Super stomach. Real, yeah. yeah. In the way that like, um, when you fall in love romantically or non-romantically, totally. like when you meet a friend With and a they city, make yeah. sense to you. Yes. A place that makes sense to you where like, it's a thing that happens in your gut and yeah. it might, it was inside of my gut and that's why I knew I needed it yeah. because my stomach wanted it. And, and I didn't feel restful when I didn't have it. And when right. I had it, felt satiated or yeah there was I mean the other thing was and I felt that no one was going to protect her narrative the way that I would I mean speak to that because that's something that's so real like I feel like uh well as we know with that project and beyond there's just so many hands that touch it and I feel like what a beautiful uh synchronicity or destiny or chance whatever you want to call it that uh led you to this even when it was apart from you for a, a period of time you mentioned like a couple years it must have felt really good when you came back around and you were on the same page and you were on board to direct and create this yeah it just meant that my course was right right I think it also 
the work that we do is painful. The road to the work that we do is painful. What we want is comes with painful feelings. Yeah. And Light. just walking outside is painful. Yeah. And I think that that it came back to me meant that everything up until that moment was necessary and that once I took it on that everything that would come after would also be very it's necessary all part of this. yeah which is this is my path this is the path that I am deciding and surrendering to it absolutely and that's not to say that it isn't unsavory or it isn't difficult it totally is that yeah. is a part of making work but that I had to remind myself that I was choosing it too. Oh yeah, and that what you want it wasn't wants happening you. to me. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. That what you want wants me. I like that. I love that because it just gives us this faith. <laughs> yes. And like I don't know. I I always I patience. I mean, we live in such a fast pace. It might be a cliche, but we do live in such a fast paced uh, culture and turnaround that like. Uh, this desire, especially as a writer, a filmmaker, to really take time or to trust the unfolding process that comes with this work we choose to do, uh, that can be the biggest test of it all, at least in my own experience. Yeah. I'm wondering, you mentioned IP and uh, using um, the, was it Rolling Stone article? Yeah. And uh, obviously connected to the tweets. Um, do you feel like that process of adapting that uh, type of story, uh, of course as a magazine story, but birthed from these tweets, uh, do you feel like that was something quite different than perhaps other types of adaptations you could pursue? Do you feel like it's all everything's adaptation, it's all the same? Yeah, it felt the same. I think that... Um and I, I, I feel in saying this, I think that you're probably pretty aligned with me in this, that it felt no different than if I chose to adapt Chekhov, yeah. Ibsen, Strindberg, Shakespeare. Right. It really felt no different than taking on one of those works and, and being true to the voice of the piece. Yeah. The thing that is different is actually how people engage with it, but not young people. Yeah. Young people and black people are like, this has value, it matters. But there is like snobs, older people, elitist. mostly white people, elitist. Old white, exclusionary. Yeah, who have this sort of attitude of like, well, Twitter, it's dismissive, or that that space is dismissive. And I think that, sure, it can be. There's a lot of fucking trash on the internet. But this isn't that. This has value. There's so much riches, and that's why, I mean, yeah. People are, I don't know, I just, it's so funny to have like that kind of digital media world um, compared to like these more traditional mediums of film and television because there's such highlights and attributes to both, but the internet's like, especially for all types of voices who weren't as amplified in traditional entertainment media, there's just gold. I mean, we all look at, we're all, even if our feed bores us sometimes, those like, I don't know. I just like Twitter. Even like people make me laugh. And I wish I, don't I hear was that voice comfortable with Twitter. It really stresses me out. But yes, you don't hear that voice I on don't. TV. And I had heard that on a friend of mine while I was at Sundance was listening to NPR, and the 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 film came up there on on Film Week on the Film Week wrap up of Sundance, and I forget who is the host of it. Uh huh. Um, but there are these two men and they kind of were like, I was adapted from Twitter. I mean, uh, weirder things have happened. They've adapted films from 
board games. And I, I a friend sent it to me because she was like, fuck that. And I was like, you know, but I, I that sucks and it's yeah. lame and I get it. I get the attitude of like the pedestal from which you're sitting on while you're judging that. But what what it says to me or what I am thrilled by is that a 19-year-old black girl wrote this story. She worked at a Hooters. She lives in Detroit. And A24 financed that movie. So... It is what it is, Good baby. Good luck with whatever you're Have working on. Have fun in on. the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, so We're I not think stopping. it has value. This isn't my last movie. Yeah, I'm like, this isn't, well, um, you know, the author is like. Yeah, I'm just like, um, sorry, it's not, you know, dot, 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 dot. But I, I think it's like, it's exciting. And hopefully it says that those who are in the position of power to decide whose stories get to be told, that maybe they can start looking in other places. Please. You know? Thank you so much for that. And I love your cast so much. Um, what was your favorite part of collaborating with all these amazing artists? Without giving anything away, the film is rather theatrical. And my favorite part of it was going really far without without barriers. Yes. And, and I don't want to get yeah. too specific on yeah. that because it gives that something feels away. exciting and inviting. But we were super theatrical. Yes. You know, I come from the theater. That's my Beautiful. favorite and preferred space. And my acting style that I am attracted to is a bit bigger. Theatrical. Yeah. It's oh, a that's bit so extreme. exciting. So it's big. Naturalism is overrated, babe. <laughs> I just, if I want naturalism, like... Well, drama is natural, too. <laughs> We're here, We're you know. Already, I mean, like, this. I'm looking to get out want, of here. Yeah. I don't want naturalism in my theater either. I totally. I want things to be. I, I, uh, life in hyperbole makes sense to me, right? Well, it's like I don't want naturalism in makeup. You know? <laughs> I mean, why? Why? I mean, you can do if you want that. You can. Everyone choose your own, right? Yeah, but exactly. Sometimes, especially in fine art context, refine or like. Naturalism is perceived as refinement, and that doesn't necessarily yes, need to make but sense. I, but I think you're right. I think that's the same in theater, too. I think for a while, and even currently, I think that there is this sort of like nose to the air about experimental theater or physical theater. I remember once, actually, when I'd worked on my last play, which was, um, I think it's uh, August Strindberg's Miss Julie, uh, this director of TV and film says to me, you know, he's congratulating me on it. And while congratulating me, he's like, yeah, but can you do something normal? And normal to him meant that that was Normative refinement. And, and, yeah. and that there's like an elegance with uh, with Dropping the stuff you that like. That I obviously don't have access <laughs> yeah. to. And I think that in the moment I just said yes. And I was sort of like, you know, I barrel through it. But it had really hurt me, actually. Totally. And it's something that I've considered and wondered. Yeah. Uh, do I have access to restraint? And... I think the answer is that I do, but I don't have any interest in it. You don't, also maybe the climate way, it doesn't seem like anything is calling for restraint right now. In I general. also, I look like me. What, yeah. look, why do you need restraint why from do we, this? You've been restrained. <laughs> yeah. Archetypally. Literally, yeah, like I mean, my time on this know? planet yeah. is restrainment. Fuck so that in your art. I'm all good. I'm all good. <laughs> well, I can speak to you for hours. And Thank you I so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, I'm going to wrap up with one question. We're asking everyone to rephrase the question in their answer, which is, um, you know, my name is, and I support, or I'm a member of. Oh, okay. My name is, 
Janixa Bravo. I support a purposeful rescue. And then what was the last one? I think that's perfect. Okay, Just, great. Thank you so I, much. I like that I threw out like a dog rescue while we're at the art fair. Hey, that dog, my dog gives me the life that I need <laughs> to be able to come here today and do this work. So, right? Shouts out, Gretchen. I, I concur. <laughs> I concur. And thank I, you. I can't wait to see Riley's character. Like, it's more white villains in Hollywood. <laughs> it's going to really, you're really going to like it. I can't wait. You really are. Thank you. We're back. Thank you so much for tuning in to Telethon for Your Art. We're live at the For Your Art booth at Freeze Los Angeles 2020. I'm joined by my friend, an excellent writer, artist, and creator of the Justify Writers Community Writers Group, Justice Singleton. Hey. Hey. I'm just really excited to be around you. You look so amazing. Thank you. I put on the outfit for you. Specifically, my I'm grandma. Blushing. My grandma got it for me. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really cute, right? Are you feeling good? I'm feeling great. I mean, I, I feel very Los Angeles right now. Doesn't it feel good to feel very LA? It feels for once. It feels really good, <laughs> especially around you. Oh. Like you, you and me are like you know the eight one eight. 323, the staples of real natives. You the know? 818 kisses the 323. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It feels so good. What do you think? I know there's so many complicated relationships to where, like the idea of home, but yeah. what about Los Angeles do you have the most love for? Um, it's funny because I think right now my new thing in LA is the fact that I'm reminded that when I get here, everyone is trying to be like on a daily inspired and look and feel alive and like sexy and, and alive yeah and like like there's a thing where like people are like supposed to be like chill but then also like most people are just like trying to push the chill they're like trying to be chill you know they're pretend they're yeah, popping you know? Xanax until so, like, they're chill even like when I put on this outfit I'm like it's chill but it's not like you yeah, know like that balance yeah exactly right I learned this kind of fabric is called plisse and I feel that it's the epitome of like I'm chill because it might look yeah. I hope it looks quite good but it's like so sumptuously yeah. Yeah. Also being sexy. Like the idea is like LA is very sexy and like when I'm where I'm where I where I live now is like I go back and forth between here and Nola. Okay. So like now I'm like in Nola where I'm in sweats and like sexy is like sweaty and just chilling and like alive in yourself. Yeah, and out here being sexy is like stunning, you know? A bit more presentation. Yeah, exactly. Do you love fashion? Like do you love clothing? I do, and I also love being naked. So it's Same. just like, like if if we could dress naked and put like gems and adornment, on it, exactly. Naked would be tattoos, great. yeah, tassels. gems. <laughs> I have you some would, of those. Yeah, yeah. You have some. I feel like I've seen you in tassels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, but um, we need to create a, a plus size line of yeah. large tassels. Yeah, large titty tassels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, some uh, you know, minor imaginary boobs, and I just wish there was something for like the girl who like wants like real like I want a I want boobs to wear on you know and take like a bra with off. like yeah <laughs> but like no bras fit me so it's just not happening whoever wants to fund our size inclusive yeah. um project we're ready to represent different sides of the sizing spectrum <laughs> yeah. it's it's weird that you brought up size because you're the to me I, when I think of like 
the match between like being really skinny and then being like voluptuous. I'm like, how does how do you keep this like sexiness? Like I never really thought I was like the sexiest thing, you know? Like because I was just. Totally. But then when you see like someone like you and you're like you're like, to me honestly, I literally think of you as one of the sexiest people. I swear it's not a joke. And then I go I like, damn, you. if I can be that, I can be that sexy too, you know? That's so beautiful. I yeah. mean, it's so unfair how. You know what gave me a lot of, uh, I don't want to say confidence, but like, because I feel like sexuality is something that has just always been really yeah. uh, special and essential to me. Yeah. But I also, you know, the thing about these like very colonial beauty standards is that the people who benefit the most from these standards of desirability yeah. are still obsessed with negating their own appeal so yeah. like someone can be six foot tall a skinny blonde yeah. Yeah. white woman yeah. cis femme high glam and feel like absolute shit and just yeah. be worried about their cuticles yeah. or their ankle yeah. hair or something yeah. and yeah. so i just feel like i have felt so unhot i felt so desexualized i felt so i mean even some of my core anxiety even in terms of preparing for something like this still rests in this notion of like these old insecurities that come with how my body is. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just really nice to hear. I appreciate you. Yeah, and I I just love people who offer that same space. Like, you're so sexy to me. Yeah. And it's not necessarily one aspect of who or what you are that makes you sexy. Yeah. It's about the way that you exist as yourself. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. How's writing going? Writing is really good, actually. Like, one of the main things that I've learned is to like give myself a purpose in it and not like force things yeah so like now when I write I write on a daily but I also just do it as practice and I try not to force myself to like I'm work. gonna nail this yeah like I'm gonna this is a deadline you know like accomplish it now or die like that yeah. type of stuff um, and then another part it's like I'm also like finding giving myself enough time to go like oh I want to write this and I'm really passionate about writing something now this you know? means something to me yeah yeah exactly so and then beautiful. the writers group which is you know introduce us for folks who aren't familiar yeah, with course. justify who are you what is the mission yes. how does it happen so uh, I started a writers group for women of color um, because I, I felt like there's this first of all it's funny I named the thing uh, the name justify, justify <laughs> It was like the whole thing of like justification and like looking for validation. Yes, that's so beautiful. And my whole thing was like I really wanted people to write from a place from where they're at and not where other people are at. Like we write for trends and brands and or where they think they're supposed to be to like have market value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like when I was like, okay, what what do people need to practice healthy writing? I thought that they may need like a group to talk about talk about the the toxicity within the industry but also to write from a place of like how they're feeling and what they believe now and and also like having a discussion about like like you just said like the thing about the perspective is like white men write the perspective of other people and then we just attach to it so when I see women of color and they're all writing in groups and they have a specific um, theme or something to say we can attach to that, you know, their inspiration, totally. their perspective, you know? Yeah, because often what happens is even if someone falls outside the bounds of that white, straight, mask, cis power umbrella to feel at home or to feel validated within that 
world or industry or art form, oftentimes, regardless of identity, people adapt their work to fit that mold. And I think it's really beautiful to create space that allows us to wonder about what it is we really give a fuck about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't give a, to be honest, I don't give a fuck about what people like read my work and they'll go like oh this doesn't look like it's something it's going to make on the screen or this doesn't look like a, it has an audience like the truth of the matter is if you write it and it's from your soul it means something it has to it just why else is it because, there why else is it there you know and and then the whole idea is that you know, if I gather a group of people in a room, it almost turns into church, which is kind totally. of like what a lot of what I'm, I'm trying to do now is make it a literary church. It's using like, I'll like list, uh, read people like Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou or Zora Neale Hurston, and I'll be like, I want these people to be like our new apostles, yeah. our new angels. This is who we should worship. Exactly, you know, and that's what I'm working with, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so are there going to be events um, or opportunities for especially femmes and non-binary folks of color who are tuning in or watching this later. Um, how can people kind of stay abreast about what's going on or is there any coming up? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So like for sure, when I started as like, another thing that I thought of was like when I started this for women of color, I really didn't understand the spectrum of what that meant and also what it limited. Um, so I always welcome non-binary people. I also realized that one of the most interesting things about this is like finding finding out that one voice, like the voice of a black woman is like the same voice as someone who's trans, you know, or the same voice as someone who's just non-binary. And I limited it by saying like, oh, one struggles, you know? Yeah. So what I did was uh, very sort of uh, recently is like I decided that I would label everything with a theme so like with this one recently we have this um, uh, Women's Month meeting, but it's gonna be instead of being called Women's Month, we call it a Truth like a Truth Month. Yeah. And it's women claiming their it's it's like a willpower instead of women's willpower. Totally. And um, so this March we're actually doing an event at Ava Arrays, cool. Ava Duvernay's Array, and it's gonna be basically like the same thing, church, where we're gonna combine like elders like Sojourner Truth. And then we're also going to take like speakers. Hopefully, I can get someone like you to speak or like other writers. Because I yeah. want to get like people to just bring their notebooks and like write. Like basically, I want people to like write their own speeches. Yeah. In the same way that our elders have written their speeches about their power, and then I want them to perform it. So you know. Cool. Um, so that's kind of the plan this coming March. And that's going to come in March. Yeah. Here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And also, there's a website, you know, for that. Justify. Stuff. People, yeah. Justify Writers, writers LA. LA. Yeah. Justify Writers. LA. It's so important. I mean, I really love a celebration of language arts. Um, I feel like obviously we're in this art fair context where there's so much visual arts being explored and there's so much interesting stuff going on, but I just really believe in words and I love the way you use them and I so appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. I also wanted to, I, I feel like people ask you questions all yeah. day, which is one of the, like, how long have you been here? Like, I've been here since, um, uh, well, earlier, but we began broadcasting at 11 a.m. It's about five. So can we just now? honor you because, like, you've you've like kept it 
going you know you. also like I, I honor every like every my hand to hold the cards yeah. and my mouth you know like every piece of my body and spirit feels so yeah. whole when yeah. I'm doing something like this and it feels really good do you reflect on like the times that we were in like dorm rooms and we like we went to college together yeah. we won't say where because <laughs> yeah let's not talk about it until they that's have a building it. named after us yeah that's exactly. all the press they get mm -hmm. yep um but to like come of age with other artists and creators that are so exciting to me, it's just like so empowering and you make me feel so good and today is no different. Of course. Well, I love you. Well, we're, I'm going to wrap up by asking you to kind of rephrase my question and your answer. Yes. If you could say, uh, my name is Got and you. I support or I'm a member of. Got you. Uh, my name is Justice Singleton and I support Justify Writers Room. And uh, I represent, what did I say? What did I say? What was the last one? You you're a member of Justify Writers Room. Yeah, okay. You represent... Yeah. So basically, yeah. I represent the people. Justice. Yeah. Uh, that's Justify. all I gotta say. My bad. If I, <laughs> I love the name because when I hear Justify, I always think that it's so relevant to your name. Yeah. But just this idea of justification and worthiness, deservingness, allowance, yeah. like inclusion. It's so beautiful. Well, all I know is, is like, whenever I see my group of friends, like the whole point of purpose is just to gather on my group of friends get them to write and then have a dance party and feel like we all did something for the day and it's so you know. good because people also like something that I'm aware of is that even if I have all these dreams that are yeah. still to be realized I do have a very creative life yeah and although everyone has that creativity innate yeah a lot of people don't have the community we have or yeah. that we've created yeah. And just sure. like that blessing makes me just want to amplify and create work that provides those sensations to yeah. other people. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between like the the doing it because you're trying to like almost like get something and then doing it because you're just trying to welcome and, and like almost like create home for people. You yeah. Know? And yeah. great, great pieces of writing. That's why you are worshiping Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison and so many of these greats because they've created home for you and they might not have had a author that felt as home to them yeah, or maybe exactly. they did and that's yeah. sacred to them yeah. and just such important lineage. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for being here. I love you. This is our last segment today. Telethon for Your Art at Freeze Los Angeles 2020 has been so fun. I can't wait for more tomorrow. And for now, we have my amazing final guest, Blaine O'Neill. Blaine is such a multidisciplinary, scholarly, and festive person. And I'm just so happy that you made time to be here today. Thank you for having me, Tierney. Are you feeling good? I am feeling good. Um, I... <coughs> When I was on my way over here, I actually turned around and changed and put yes. on this shirt. Yes. Oh, my God. Because I was feeling, uh, I've, I'm very overwhelmed right now. I'm planning this big bubbles party tomorrow. Yes. And um, I was just feeling really confused about entering this space. Uh, and actually, my parents were here this morning. And um, they, they like went right at 11 when all the art was being sold. And they... My dad texted me and he said, I'm really depressed and I can't explain why. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why he was feeling depressed was just to be like 
so close to this like celebration of uh, culture, but in a very, very specific type of way. Um, and I don't know, I guess. And the celebration through the marketing of, right? I yeah. Mean, that element. Just like, I just wanted to do a polemical like moment today. So that's why I wore this shirt. You're wearing an amazing Bernie 2020 Wait, shirt. Wait, I'll do a little dip. I'll do Please. Flash it around. Ay, ay. Why? Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately, especially as Americans, but uh, around the world, this comes up. There's such a, a, a hesitation or a tension regarding political affiliation. And you see it in the richest people like Chris uh, Jenner, you know, her daughters might choose token issues, but she will not open her mouth about politics because she doesn't want her coin affected. And I just feel like among artists, there's sort of uh, a lot of lack of affiliation. Do you think that's the case? I think... It is the case in a lot of contexts. Um, I think, I feel like a lot of people who are involved in the transactional economy around art feel like afraid to politically affiliate because it becomes a risk when you're running a business and dealing with the 0.1% who are the people who buy art. Yeah. So I feel like that's a convenient excuse. <laughs> and not fund the organizations that shape our laws yeah. and keep us. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I feel like that's um, part of it, but to me that's like a cop-out because the reason why I'm, I've always been so um, invested in making art and like living in the art like envelope is um, because it transcends uh, certain economic like laws that tell us that we can't be, we can't follow our dreams, that where everything is determined, like this Darwinism that capitalism instills within us, the art world like sort of like does a little dance around that in a nice yeah. way. And um, yeah, so it's always a shame when people I respect who work with really interesting artists who are exploring really interesting, passionate ideas are afraid to just like translate their own like impact to like a more populist um, framework. Totally. But anyway, uh, no, we don't have to talk about politics. No, I mean, just to wrap up, I guess, our political conversation, um, kind of, I think sometimes contrary or antithetical to a bit of what we're talking about, how does it feel to be in community with artists in L.A. who are activated by the Bernie Sanders campaign, who were excited before these uh, primaries, who are even more excited potentially with some success that's been happening? What have... What have you seen in your own community in regards to organizing around Bernie Sanders for president? I've actually been incredibly surprised by the amount of um, enthusiasm amongst friends who I have no like previous political history with. Yeah. Because I used to be like a full-time organizer, activist. I lived in a commune for two and a half years. I still identify as an anarchist, and I used to spend a lot of my time thinking about how I could put my body on the line in very specific ways, uh, mostly around the like world of like climate justice. Yeah. But um, so my friends now, I don't hold them to a standard because I think it's really fucked up to. Am I allowed to say fuck? Yeah, okay. fuck, fuck, fuck. Who's okay. fucking woke enough or who yeah. isn't or who's had and, access? And I had a really traumatic experience leaving this uh, commune. Uh, that I was, like, It was a family I was part of for five years, and they betrayed me in really intense interpersonal emotional ways. And I realized, like, that's not the type of person I want to be, someone who holds 
ideals over relationships. So now my friends, I just trust them inherently, and my friends are always right. But yeah. anyway, what's happening is all my friends organically were were finding really fun ways to get involved in electoral politics, which is the least radical form of politicking, but it's still interesting to see it feeling cute for once in my life because I was never True. involved in the Obama campaign. I mean, right. I, I canvassed the week of, but this is the first time I feel like uh, a mainstream center stage populist political candidate is actually um, taking Relevant. like, make it, well, he has a vision. Yeah. He's injecting language that we've been... Um, Previously missing. Yeah. And we completely. see that with, like, Ilhan Omar and, like, different Congress people, exactly. or at least a handful of Congress the people. Squad. Yeah, the squad. And, like, having... It just show It's such a cliche in a way, but it just shows that being that one voice in the room at first is enough. You know, it's like... Um, I'm, I feel you where I was really interested in electoral politics and I went to the Obama National Convention when it, we weren't sure if it was going to be Hillary Clinton or um, President Obama and I went alone to Denver, Colorado in high school and I was just so alienated by the culture around like the big business of politics and I was like, well, I'm already used to LA so let me just go back to entertainment because at least, you know, entertainment as it exists today is often not revolutionary but it's just, there's so many spaces for it all to be in. It feels really good to have more mainstream voices and even people in entertainment and the arts amplifying the Sanders campaign because it just means that we are invested in a future beyond like the next four years too. Exactly. Um, and I, I guess the last thing to say about that is, um, so I run this party Bubbles, which yeah. is like sort An of like a party. sporadic rave party that happens. It's like usually like seven or eight hours long and in different warehouses and like community spaces. And um, tomorrow is the next Bubbles and we're doing something different where there's actually going to be a table of the Democratic Socialists of America who are going to be just like hanging out. DSA love. And registering voters. Yeah. And then we're also having Tracy Jean Rosenthal. She's launching her voter guide tomorrow night at, at the, the party. party. That's so beautiful. So this is the first time I've tried like explicitly crossing Blending wires and, and we'll see how it goes and for people who aren't familiar with Tracy Jean Rosenthal's amazing voter guides how do you describe them and they're I would love two for you evils. to they're called two two evils two evils on Instagram it's two underscore evils and this basically provides a comprehensive look at Los Angeles electoral politics through a really progressive lens and also in hilarious and engaging yeah. language. Exactly. <laughs> I'm really proud of that experiment you're doing tomorrow and I just want more and more and more of it. I feel personally there, I definitely grew up in this time where I felt like the artistry is one thing or the creativity is one thing and the political compass or that ethical foundation is another thing and your the way you dress is another thing and I'm just really excited about the way all of this is blending because it means we're all sharing with each other more of who we are you know I think it's also interesting because it also signals that it's like not cool to be ironic anymore yeah you, oh great you, you that have that Zoomer. much privilege that you could not give a fuck yeah <laughs> no but even with people with privilege I feel like there's like something that's happening where the logic that was drilled into me when I was learning how to become culturally distinct and have cultural capital, like in my early teens, yeah, there was this logic that was just dr drilled into us about being cynical, um, apathetic, ironic, apathetic, 
angsty, detached. And I don't. I think I'm. I'm a TA right now at UCLA, so I deal a lot with young students, and they're not like that. They're tired of the neoliberal irony, and they they're they're putting their hearts like out there, and they're actually like they're using like, language yeah. that's very direct, sincere, and vulnerable. Direct, sincere, and vulnerable. DSV. It sounds amazing. I mean, it just feels so good to be able. I, I definitely feel more comfortable talking than I would have done even two years ago or four years ago. Exactly. Just because there's more safety when we speak this way, when we allow that reality or sincerity and don't I definitely know that I'm not alone and I mean just from your conversation with other friends that for some people with really like kind hearts and sincere visions it's yeah. like we're supposed to feel embarrassed or lesser than because we're not elitist cokeheads or something <laughs> yeah um so Blaine before we wrap up here today will you tell me a little bit about feature extraction yes so one of my interests, like a developing interest that comes out of my sort of the process of becoming that I've had on mostly on like social media and through specifically like activist uses of media has been it's been like a 10 year struggle with coming to terms with my individuality. Um, and I think I have to say that in order to talk about why machine learning and algorithmic subjectivity is relevant to me. Yeah. Machine learning being artificial intelligence and algorithms being like the things that, the, the mathematical models that tell us who we are and reflect an abstracted versions of us as individuals back to us and then link us to other people that they decide are similar. Um, so I'm interested in things like that and so I got a grant with my friend Ulysses who's currently completing a PhD at in the Information Studies Department at UCLA. Cool. Um, and we've been organizing a series of like workshops, talks. Uh, we're planning a conference in the fall. Probably we'll end up doing a publication cool. um, where we're inviting all these different writers, theorists, and uh, artists and programmers to lead different workshops and give talks on things that are interesting to us. So Amazing. the last one we did was with um, this artist collective called Lou Cantor from Berlin that explores intersubjectivity and how computer scripts begin to affect the human yeah. um, as they spin out of control and become autonomous online. Uh, we worked with Gene Kogan, who's a programmer who created a project called Machine Learning for Artists. Worked with Lucky Dragons, Mandy Harris-Williams. Amazing. Um, and an amazing person who I just recently met named Mashinka Faruns Hakopian, who's an AI ethicist researcher. Oh, wow. Did you say ethicist? Yeah. That's super interesting because I feel like uh, you don't even have to know much about AI to know that the ethics is like a key a key point of conversation not that there's any one opinion you know but just like it opens up all of these curiosities that we've probably explored in other human ways but we're getting a whole new like outlook on totally and how can people follow that work how can people attend um yeah. your events so we have a website it's feature-extraction.ai feature dash dash extraction, extraction dot, AI. dot AI and we have a um, email that's input at feature extraction dot AI cool um, and I'll be posting about it I'll bubbles be inviting people bubbles is tomorrow bubbles is tomorrow if you're in LA if is you're it watching downtown? this 
It's at Naval. Oh, cool. Uh, downtown. Amazing art we just, space. We're working with Jerome, an amazing architect. We bought 3,000 red balloons. Wow. We're making it an insane world, and I hope that I'll see you there if you yeah, have enough totally. energy after the next day of talks. I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, Blaine. As we finish up, will you just do me a favor and rephrase this question with yeah. an answer, which is like, my name is, and I either I am a member of or I support, and it can be Bernie, it can be something related to your work. Um, my name is, do I look at the camera? Yeah. My name is Blaine O'Neill, and I am a member of the resistance against psycho-cybernetic determinism. Yes. He's going to have to teach me what that is. This is the last of our interviews today. Please join us tomorrow at 11 a.m. 11 a.m. through 6 p.m. tomorrow. We'll be back with another onslaught of amazing guests. Thank you for listening to Tierney Talks. For photos and videos from the telethon, go to my Instagram, at tstar7. Also, Follow For Your Art at For Your Art, your guide to art and patronage. For more information about For Your Art and all of my guests, check out the show notes. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by Tierney Finster. It was recorded and edited by Margot Padilla. Please let us know what you think of the episode. You can listen to past episodes of Tyranny Talks on all podcast platforms. If you love the show, please rate, subscribe, or share with a friend. Or all three. Special thanks to Margot Padilla, Jess Caliero, Nico Karamian, Brian Johnson, Bettina Korik, Kevin McGarry, Kobe Krieger, all of my guests, everyone who tuned into the live stream, and all the others who made this installation possible. Until next time, XOXO.